As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Right now, every one of your call, every one of your listeners thinks that Nablus condones slavery and stabbing. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Today we're here with uh, Nate Bliss from YouTube, and I just want to say hi and thank you so much for coming on and being willing to talk about this chapter with us. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So usually what I ask my guests is just sort of, how did you find Wheel of Time in your life? And then, you know, tell me a little bit about your YouTube channel and, and, and what got you into producing um, content for, for the Wheel of Time community. So Wheel of Time wise, it's kind of funny. I... I, what was I? I was a freshman in college. I was back home from break and I was kind of bored and I was looking for a book to read. My dad had a book or a, a box, like a cardboard box full of just books that he had picked up secondhand somewhere sitting in the basement. And I don't think it had been opened in a while. So I, I would just started going through his books to see if there was anything interesting in there. And there was a copy of Eye of the World in it um, that I think he had not read ever and had been sitting in that box for like 10 years or something. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is in maybe two years. It was probably 2000. I think it was. Uh, Cause I don't think winner's heart was quite out yet. So anyways, I picked it up. I thought, Oh, that cover looks weird, but I'll read it. Loved the first book ended up finding out as I was reading it. Uh, Cause the copy that he had said that there was only one other book. It said there was only the great hunt. Cause it was that old of a copy. So I thought, oh, this there may not be many of these. And as I picked up Great Hunt, it said the the copy that I got of Great Hunt had, oh, there's like seven more of them. Oh, cool! Like, so I ended up I kept reading them. Uh, I caught all the way up, and then right as I caught up, I like binged them pretty fast. Winner's Heart came out, um, and I went and picked that up at Barnes and Noble. I remember that. And then basically that was about the point the online community was getting kicked off. So I, I was a big uh, Wattmania person. Gotcha. I followed on Wattmania a lot. I was a little bit on theory land, that kind of thing. But in any case, I, I read the books. I was pretty devastated that Robert Jordan died, thrilled that he 
thrilled that Sanderson was going to finish the books and you know long and short of it for years and years and years after the books were finished I just kept hoping oh I hope they make a show out of this I hope they make a movie out of it and so I would periodically get on and I would google real time like anything going on just trying to figure out because I hadn't read the books in a while and I just thought I wonder if they're going to make anything about this I saw the horrible, horrible Winter Dragon. Uh, Winter Dragon. <laughs> and I thought, they're never going to do this now. Wow. That's the nail in the coffin. That's it. That was my thought, too. Like, we're fine. Never going to do it. <laughs> but, you know, long and short of it, I remember the, the article that got me interested in doing YouTube. So I Googled, it was right when it came out that Harriet basically said to everybody, hey, we have something figured out with the rights. We're going to be going into production with a major studio. And then that was kind of all they said. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I'm excited. I'm excited. And at that point, I was kind of into YouTube. I was just, you know, watching YouTube stuff. And I thought, oh, I bet people are talking about this. And so I popped on YouTube, Wheel of Time, nada. The only thing that came up was a few videos that Daniel Green had made that were actually a college report of his that talked about just recapping the books. That was the only thing I could find. And then the Winter Dragon thing. I, I'd always wanted to make a YouTube channel. So I thought, well, what the heck? I'll make a few videos, see what happens. And when I made them, it was like, it must have struck a nerve because everybody was like, oh, they, they, my channel blew up pretty quick. Because at that point, I was pretty much the only game in town, me and Daniel. And then that, that's kind of the rest is history. And that's where we're at now. And now I'm, now I'm podcasting too. Yeah. Uh, with Darvall and After Dark, we're doing, so it's kind of crazy how this has <laughs> all gone and. I, you know, I, it's funny how similar your story it feels to me to what happened in the podcast space, where I was a big podcaster looking for podcasts, yeah. and other than, you know, a couple of Legendarian episodes, and, I mean, Twacast, which was kind of done at that point, you know, there wasn't really anything else out there, so I started it off, and it blew up pretty fast, and here we are, you know, so it's, you know, I was like, if you replace YouTube for podcasting in that, in that story, it feels very similar to me, familiar to me. And yeah. now, you're doing... Tarval and After Dark, you're podcasting, and we're considering, like, how do we go into YouTube? Like, what does right, that look like? videos, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> are we going to cross? Exactly. <laughs> I would love to talk about Chapter 7, Pitfalls and Tripwires, and our symbol is the Lion of Andor. Because that's where the pitfalls and tripwires are, really. I mean, they're everywhere, but specifically with respect to Andoran politics in this chapter. Well, and it's a, it's a quote by LTT in this chapter. Rand felt the dragon scepter in his hand, felt every line of the carved dragons against his heron-branded palm, as clearly as if he was running his fingers over them. Yet it seemed someone else's hand. If a blade cut it off, he would feel the pain, and keep going. It would be another's pain. He floated in the void, surrounded by emptiness beyond knowing, and Sidene filled him, trying to grind him to dust beneath steel-shattered cold and heat, where stone would flash to flame carry the Dark One's taint on its flow, forcing corruption into his bones, into his soul, he feared sometimes. It did not make him feel so sick to his stomach as it once had. He feared that even more. Enlarded through that torrent of fire, ice, and filth, life. That was the best word. Sidene tried to destroy him. Sidene filled him to overflowing with vitality. It threatened to bury him, and it enticed him. The war for survival the struggle to avoid being consumed, magnified the joy of pure life. So sweet even with the foulness, what would it be like clean, beyond imagining? He wanted to draw more, draw all there was. 
There lay the deadly seduction. One slip in the ability to channel would be seared out of him forever. One slip in his mind was gone. If he was not simply destroyed on the spot, and maybe everything around him too. It was not madness focusing on the fight for existence. It was like high-walking blindfolded over a pit full of sharpened stakes, basking in so pure a sense of life that thinking of giving it up was like thinking of a world forever in shades of gray. Not madness. It's always fun reading Moran's little thoughts like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's I mean, the, not that this has anything depth to go on there. I just, it's RJ's writing style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the description of it. I, I think this is where you can always tell Robert Jordan writing as, as opposed to other people's. Yeah. It's the way that he describes stuff like this um, and the way that Rand feels it. And again, you're also getting it through Rand's perspective. Right. Right. I mean, the other thing that Robert Jordan is, I, I would say, is widely considered to be the master of or a master of is unreliable narrators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll be frank, the first couple of times I read the books, I didn't think Rand was crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like I actually thought it, it all made sense to me. Like Rand, everything totally he was justified. doing made sense. And the people around him just didn't know what they were talking about. Probably until I read Memory of Light, I would say, the right. first time. And then I, I went back and I'm now it's like you read it and I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on your podcast, but he's batshit crazy. Oh, motherfucking batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Yes. Like, because yeah, he's batshit. And you're starting to see that a little bit here. Yeah. I think. For sure. And LTT is coming up so much in this chapter. Like he's totally. right there mm-hmm. at the surface. Putting this on the, on it within the timeline, we are just post Dumai's Wells and he's about to take out Kalendor in the very near future and roast a bunch of his own troops. So we're sort of between some pretty dark spots. Yeah. You know, that's like, there's some Ill- attack on alien as well, but uh, yeah, this is, this is Rand at his lowest, as far as I can tell. And at his closest to being insane. Yeah. He's very much in his knee dear. <laughs> One thing, and I don't know, again, I know it's, it seems like it's kind of mincing, but in the very first paragraph, he talks about someone could cut my mm-hmm. hand off and I would just keep going. It would feel just like it's some going. right, and I would just keep going. That's obvious yep. foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so obvious. So I was like, my my brain is like foreshadowing, skip it, everyone's gonna see that. Don't even bring it up. But like it's just I, so obvious, yeah. Well, I you know, in the if it was a different writer, I would play that off as coincidence. Uh-huh. Not with Robert. Knowing how Robert Jordan nope. sets up the foreshadowing in his books, it's not a coincidence. Absolutely not. It's on no. purpose. Absolutely not. And same with with when it's what would it be like clean that's letting you know that the cleansing is coming mm-hmm. soon like again without a doubt <laughs> almost everything i highlighted in this paragraph was foreshadowing like this that's a so much foreshadow i i'm, I'm realizing that that like this is just a, a a three paragraph like ran thinking to himself like god that could never happen Five mm-hmm. minutes later, Tavirin. thing happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did notice he's not feeling so sick to his stomach with the sidine. I think that's because he's becoming, I mean, he's tainted now, right? So it's just like, it's like he's got a, he's built up yeah. a bit of a tolerance at this point. Yeah. Like, which also scares Which him. is fair. Like, this often, the descriptions of this make me think of like certain drug experiences that are terrifying mm-hmm. and exhilarating. And, like, you build up a tolerance, right? The first time is never repeated, ever. doesn't matter what the substance is. The first time is different. And, like, you know, it's not quite the same with uh, with the power because it's always intense and amazing because it's, like, actual life. But, you know, we've talked before on the podcast about how much channeling is, like, drug use and how much there's, like, 
components that parallel that. So it's, uh, yeah, not only is there the power itself, there's the taint. <laughs> and that is just a shitty drug that doesn't do anything fun for you at all. Alcoholism, for some reason, came to mind as I was reading this paragraph. This, like, not making you sick to your stomach anymore, just, like, building up a tolerance, like, just, and then, like, affecting your liver over time and, like, realizing that that's actually damaging you. Mm-hmm. And he's, yeah, he's very correct to be worried about it. That's a good read on himself, which is unusual for him. <laughs> but he, he he's constantly dodging the idea that he might already be insane, or that LTT is the insane part of his brain, like, talking to him. And that, See, like, that and that is yeah. that's exactly <laughs> it, though, right. That's exactly it. It, it is LTT. He th- and that's the way I read it. I just thought, well, Luz Theron's crazy. Rand's not. And 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 the answer is there is no difference, right? L- what's the difference between these two people? They're the same person, right? They so the, the same fact that they never were different. <laughs> yeah, they are the same picture, right? And so a lot of LTT's craziness are Rand's extreme emotions, Rand's craziness, Rand's ranting. All of that is Rand going nuts and sequestering it in part of his brain, fighting off the insanity. And we see that, in, especially when we get to Brandon, we see that from a lot of different Ashtamans' point of view, is how they fight the insanity, how they're able to be like, no, I know those shadows aren't there. Yeah. I can fight mm-hmm. off that insanity. I can use the rational part of my brain until they can't. Well, and, and it is terrifying because it does make you feel like, what would it actually feel like to be schizophrenic? Yeah. Right? To To have, to see people that aren't there and have them talk to you and like how strange that would be. And this is actually one of the things I'm really excited for them to address in the show. So I, I, I love these descriptions in the books. Yeah. And you see, he's dissociating so strongly, right? He's not connected to his body. He's not connected to his emotions because he's binning them all into LTT. Like he's dissociating so strongly that there's this whole weird plot arc with Moradin where he literally gets a new body. Like that's how hard he freaking dissociates. (laughs) He literally gets a whole new body. You're right. This is a really important thing for the TV show because, I mean, in the books, Rand is our main character. Can anyone argue Rand's not the main character of the books? Like, he is. You know, like, and this is his central story arc and his central journey. So, like... This is central to where the Chosen One arc, how RJ separates it. Because the Wheel of Time does have a Chosen One. In fact, it has multiple Chosen One. But... In this case, where this is a very flawed chosen one, like Rand is one of the least likable characters in the series. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. For, for your main character to be somebody that most people universally don't really like that much, right? That's interesting because otherwise he is like, he is a Mary Sue. He has, he's a Taviran. He has plot armor that's built into the book. He's all powerful. He seems to be able to beat Forsaken that should be able to trounce him, sure. right? Like all of these things. But where he separates and where RJ separates here is how flawed Rand is, whether it's the built-in toxic masculinity that he has from two rivers crap. And, you know, the way that he can't harm women. And like, you you have all these different character flaws in Rand that get magnified over the course of the series until finally he, he's actually objectively a horrible leader. Very like a horrible leader. Like, that's what I do for my day job is I do business and leadership development coaching. He checks all of the wrong boxes on good leadership, but yet he's the leader he of has everything, to be. Right? right? But all of that kind of comes to a head and it's just saying how flawed he is, but his arc is so good. I think Rand is one of the best written characters in fantasy literature, not because I like Rand, 
but because I feel like his arc is so believable. Can you imagine handing somebody that's 18, 19 years old, all of that power, telling them then you're going to have to save the world and die in the process, right? And then also, by the way, you have this tank that makes you crazy. Now deal with it. And the, the stress we talked about, the lack of sleep we talked about. And not everyone's um, going to rally different... behind you. This is not going to be a great universal existential threat that gets you the support of the nations. You're going to have to juggle politics for however many months until you're appointed demise. Which he was not trained to do. Had no understanding of it. That's why I think Rand is such a good character to read. And this is why I love scenes like this. Now, the other reason you could argue Rand is one of the best developed characters is because we get so much development of Rand because we get more yeah. chapters with <laughs> more POV. Sure. That's that's part of it. Yeah. But it's the layering. It's the layering of reasons. You know, it's one of the things he does in Ebudar when Rand's like trying to figure out like all the weirdness around the power and you're like, wait, what's going on? And it's like, well, there's the bowl of the winds was used that overtaxed it and that's what's going on. But also he's going insane. But also there's that weirdness with the crossing of the streams that he can't like hold on to his things but also and you're like there's all these effects going on and you're trying to figure out like which what's causing what and and it allows him to write a very complex story with some very simple elements by layering them on top of each other and i feel like that's what he's doing with the madness as well that with rand you've got the taint you've got the stress you've got the inexperience you've got the culture shock you've got the toxic masculinity and you put all those on top of each other and, and, and an incredible sex drive. Jesus Christ, man. Um, <laughs> you know, like, what, that's half of what he's thinking about all the time is the women in his life. <laughs> so, like, put that all together, and most authors, that'd be a morass of unrelated sentences. Jordan weaves it together into this tapestry of, of course that's what he's thinking. That's, you know, that's how brains work. And and it gets darker and darker and darker. And mm -hmm. he, can, he can dark change one aspect of those of the time and the layers show it and it's just this you know and it, and it happens so gradually that you look up and you're like i love rand <laughs> bale fires the city oh poor guy <laughs> you know and you're like yeah, wait a this minute is my emotional support <laughs> war criminal thank you very much <laughs> yeah. is it bad when i read that that i legit thought that rand was right in doing it yeah 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 when i read it i'm still not entirely sure he wasn't yeah. pragmatic in doing it Maybe not Balefire, yeah. right? But but then again, he wouldn't have known Grendel was dead without the in his own head say, yeah. without the Balefire. But it, but so. of course, the whole point is it didn't work in the first place. So no, there was no point to it anyway because he thought Grendel was dead and he fooled himself. Yeah, yeah. It's it's rough to be the savior of the world, apparently. Mm -hmm. No, and and again, I I just listened to the thing where he Balefire the Sean Chan and just the heat, right? Like both sides are badly defeated, and the dark ones going. <laughs> like <laughs> oh, it's it's an exact you know it's what it's why the dark one set up Dumai's wells man there's there's just so much in his head here questions 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 so we've got him wondering about the Kyrianan, the Aes Sedai wondering about Fael and Dira's loyalty why is Perrin being such a butt and he doesn't Perrin doesn't understand that Rand's gone through this whole thing about, like, I can't trust I said I anymore. And he's like, they're just women. What are you doing? Yeah, Rand is not getting where Perrin's coming from. I don't get where Perrin's coming from. <laughs> I, I actually, to me, I hate this part from Perrin. Yeah. Now, I think it's in, in his arc, I or in his character, I suppose. But it's such the toxic masculinity, yep. Emmonsfield yeah. crap. Yeah. How dare these? I mean, they just literally kidnapped and tried to, I mean, beat him and almost had him killed. And Perrin's like, how can you tell them what to do? Yeah. When he does it himself, by the way. 
and he snaps at Varen and Alana and it, it didn't honestly it either was trying to make Perrin a stupid character in my opinion which I think to degree Perrin is sometimes Perrin is also objectively a bad leader by the way Egwene is by far the best in the series but that's a separate topic uh, <laughs> yeah. out, out of the context of this but uh yeah but that drove that drove me nuts because it's not that I'm advocating slavery for the Aes Sedai in the way that Rand is kind of doing it. But on the flip side of that, like, I mean, they, they kidnapped him and tried to lock him up and beat him every day and put him in a box. Yeah. And he wants to let the wise ones take charge of them. You know, they're going to be nicer <laughs> than the Aes Sedai were to him. Right. And I don't understand why Perrin would be upset by that. Because especially considering Perrin doesn't have this great respect for Aes Sedai. Like, where is that all of a sudden coming from? That's what I never have he, gotten. He's always been the most respectful. Like, he's certainly more respectful than Rand or oh, fair. Matt. He's pretty yeah. nasty to Moraine in, in Dragon Reborn. That is true. He does stand up for himself, yeah. But, you know, as, as, a, as a chronic Perrin defender, I think he's more worried about Rand going over the deep end and doing something he regrets than necessarily mm-hmm. worried about the welfare of the women themselves. Uh, he's like, these are helpless women, they're prisoners... You can't abuse them. You can't, you know. They're he's, so helpless. They're so helpless. Well, and, and but, you know, Perrin makes the point as, in, in a way, they are more helpless than regular people while they are shielded because they've come to depend on the power for so much. And so he sees them as even more helpless than normal women. And so he really does think that, like, they need to be defended and, like, and, and he's, he's talking from a point of don't torture and kill your prisoners, right? Like, that seems, let's let's follow the, Gen- uh, what's the Geneva Convention? I don't know. We don't have Geneva here. But, like, you know, let's let's at least not torture and kill people. Treat them humanely. You know, some of the things the wise ones do to their prisoners is not considered that humane. Running till you drop is not something we are allowed to do to prisoners. What I don't think makes sense about this is that Perrin is willing to throw so much away on the issue. I can see being upset. I can see wanting Rand to not hurt himself. I don't see risking his life over these women. Like that, it's just too far. Like Perrin, why? Why would you put so much loyalty on enemies? Yeah, sure, you want Rand to maintain his humanity, but like... At some point, you have to let the man do his thing and go back to, like, I don't know, staying alive to play your part in taking care of the two rivers who you actually care about. The only thing I think is maybe projecting some other issues onto that issue and making, you know, it's how sometimes arguments aren't necessarily about what the argument's about. Maybe. Well, here's another discussion. Again, this is not a, this is not canon, but you can kind of read into this a little bit. Because first of all, there's two things going on here. This is the beginning of Rand being kind of crazy. Like, he no longer trusts anybody. He's even questioning Perrin, right? You're also getting this story of how Perrin fought with him through his eyes. Like, we know Perrin was upset about it, but we don't know to the extent that Perrin was upset about it later, right? Because we don't, we're hearing about this from Rand's point of view after the fact. And I'm just saying Rand's craziness can kind of skew the story. I, I, I'm just throwing it out there because I do think, again, he does the, Robert Jordan does this deliberately where he does give us unreliable thought process like and and rand should be the most unreliable of them all mm-hmm. that's, he's crazy yeah. <laughs> he's nuts yeah. he's nuts he's nuts speaking of which they must be done away with you must do it don't you remember the last time that place by the wells was a pittance cities burned whole out of the earth where nothing we destroyed the world do you hear me they have to be killed wiped from the fa- yeah 
LTT is... A little LTT ranting. He's really close. That thing by the wells. Yeah. Nothing. We destroyed the world. Mm. He's kind of right about that. He's very right about that. He he is. At this point, LTT kind of starts being more right. Like, in the beginning, he was just ranting and raving and wrong about a bunch of shit. Now he's, like, kind of making more sense than he really should. And Rand starts to make less sense. And they start talking. Rand starts to feel conflicted about losing LTT, if that were to happen. Yeah, he's like, oh, my friend, my buddy. There's a couple of times here where he's like, I wish you'd shut up, but then I'd be alone. All alone with Alana in my head. Who is he? I mean, is he talking about... I'm I'm just kind of rereading this in my head because usually when LTT goes off on these crazy kill them all, kill them all, it's about the Mm -hmm. Ashman, right? Yeah. This feels like it's about the Aes Sedai. I'm reading it right. Yeah. Uh, there is a point later where he brings up that the Ashaman are with him, and that's who Louis Theron is ranting about. So it's it's not the Ashaman, but the the dedicated and the um the soldiers. Okay, because I was going to say if he's talking about the Aes Sedai, that's a little strange. But the other side of this, that's also, I suppose, maybe uh, I'm reading into this a little too much, but isn't that what yes. you do here? <laughs> yep. He says cities burned out of the earth were nothing. We destroyed the world. Louis Theron was dead before the breaking. I never thought about that. That's Rand's interpretation. Is this Rand's interpretation? Is this Rand coming through? Or is Luce Theron talking about the War of Power? Well. Right? Well, that, that could be the alternative to that, is that he's talking about the War of Power, right? But I, I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, well, as you read this, there's Luce Theron was dead. Cities were burned out of the earth by the Balefire. During the war. During the War yeah. of Power, right. before the breaking. And then they The greatest acts so of that, men that, and women, that, you know. Right, right. Right. So maybe, I don't know, just reading into it a little bit. It could be bit, both, but... though. Because, like, we know that when men and women work together, it's much more powerful. So LTT, if he does exist, does know that the biggest, baddest weapons would be the result of collaboration. But I think it's more likely that, yeah, it's Rand's fear of going mad, right? Being like, you know how the breaking happened. That's part of global lore. Hmm. That is an interesting... Because then, I mean, obviously, right after this, he goes on to this man i'm crazy this is Rand in his own head he's going i'm crazy i'm hearing people in my head that's been dead nobody else had voices in their head except madman and he's like thinking no one has voices in their head except madman but i'm not mad just this voice in my head is right right yeah and it's just like how often do i have to say i'm not crazy it's just the voices in my head are well you flip and then they're in next paragraph what about me Rand thought yeah what about you how are we different from them talking about the madman yeah, he's arguing with the voice in his head. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, how are you different, Rand? No, he's not. And that's, and that's the, the difference is he has actual real memories. Right, like the climbing of the plum trees or whatever. Like, that's an actual memory. The weaves, the memories of the Forsaken, all of that information, that is what makes him the Dragon Reborn. Is the, the, the taint is doing two things to him. It's both driving him insane, but it's also giving him very real memories of his life as LTT. So I guess, yeah, the taint does give him something because it thins the barrier between his lives because the dark one is a corrosive unraveling force. Taint. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. I'm a child. So about these Ashaman, Jonan Adley, Eben Hopwell, and Fedwin Moore. So much sadness. I f- actually forget what happens to Adley, but Hopwell gets killed in the cleansing and Moore dies to wine. Uh, Adley, I believe, dies in the Sean Chan attack. Uh, Rand kills yeah. him. I knew the name made me feel sad, but I couldn't remember <laughs> why. <laughs> Again, I was just listening to that uh, this morning. So, yes, I 
probably three hours ago, listened to Adley get struck down by lightning and have half his body burnt and Rand and that's out about it. before the cleansing. Okay, yeah. So I was gonna say this is reverse order of when they showed up, but no, this is actually out of order. It's a full book before. Podcasting is helping me fix the events to certain covers for sure because <laughs> I'm physically holding the book for so many hours. I just think about when he conquers what nations and when he does what. That it's all kind of coming together because Dumais Wells is a good point in the middle of that, but then okay, and then we have the prolonged taking over of Ilion, which happens at the finally at the end of this book. But it seems like it's that in the uh, rescuing Fael storyline that should have happened in one book that took three. Because, like, he's talking about capturing Ilion in the last book. Yeah, yeah. you think it's going to be the uh, final battle in Lord of Chaos. Book six yeah. in Lord of Chaos, and it's not. It <laughs> ends up being the final battle in book seven. And so it feels like, wait a minute, we're doing this all over again. But, like, because of Dumai's Wells, he was interrupted. And so he had to write a whole other book to get to that final battle. Right. And it feels like Rand is setting up this giant, ooh, I gotcha surprise thing that kind of amounts to nothing, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and, and he says, you know, part of, part of what happens is Fane interrupts him again. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it's like it, the attack on Alien is like, get started and then stops. And then get started and then stops. And then finally on his third attempt, when he's just like, fuck it. I know I just got stabbed. I know I can't barely get out of bed. But no one's going to expect I attack now. That's when it finally happens, you know? But then it isn't even that much of a surprise because like Samuel's waiting for it and then has a plan and like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't feel like this master stroke from Rand. It felt kind of like a, you thought you were planning a master stroke, but we saw through it the whole time. No. And the only thing that <laughs> saved him is a moment of inattention in Mashadar. Which is just so... And the fact that Moradin helped because he would have been dead if Moradin hadn't helped him. Yeah. The importantness of all of that, not Ishmael, not the battle, not the city, it's the crossing of the streams. Yeah. I love that we're calling it the crossing of the streams. That's what else do you don't call ever it, right? cross like, the stream. <laughs> don't ever cross the stream. Because right? then like, this will happen. Yeah. Apparently. Right, you, know? <laughs> you take true power bail fire and one power bail fire, one power one power bail fire and you cross them and bad stuff happens. But is it really bad? Because it leads to Rand like surviving the last battle. It also leads to Rand understanding how to win the last battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paradoxes. Yeah. 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 But if we continue on this page, there's more sadness. There's Anila and Samara. Anila and her flaxen-haired friend Samara. They make him horrible soup, and then he's very sad about when they die. But then more soup gets made, and he's a little frustrated about it. Their bad soup doesn't die with them. Yeah, it's like, you know what? If they were going to die, could they have taken the soup recipe with them to the grave? That would have been helpful. <laughs> so yeah, it's just a page of sadness, basically. But again, uh, we are coming back to Kinlo for the first time, and so I think what we're getting here is Jordan saying, here's where all these characters are, here's the characters he's hanging out with, let me reintroduce them to you really quick so you remember who who they are, ha ha ha. But this is sort of Robert Jordan listing off everyone who's in the room. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of names in this chapter overall. I only highlighted some of them. Right, I skipped over a bunch, because like, we've either talked about them before, or they're not important until later, or something like that, yeah. So... He owes the maidens whatever they want, except for personal agency. Apparently, he can't give them that. Mm. I find that very funny. He's like, they die for me. I owe them whatever they want. It's like, you know what they want? Is for you to not beat yourself up about them dying for you. Maybe you could try that. He's not going to learn that lesson until the last battle when Egwene shoves it in his face as she's dead. Yeah. Her last dying message is like, Rand, stop being an idiot. <laughs> like, Which is like kind of sad. It kind of reminds me of her, little, of her accepted yeah. test. It's just, it's all about Rand. 
Well, let's just have Egwene be all about helping Rand get through his shit. What do you think Rand saying, uh, I don't intend to spend all night here while you lot play Kiss the Daisies? Is that even a game, or did he just totally get, like, Maiden's Kiss wrong? Yeah. No, I always assumed it was, like, the putting buttercups under your chin or some bullshit children's game like that. I, I assumed it was some Two Rivers children's game, basically. Um, but I've never heard of anything like that. I kind of assumed it was Rand misinterpreting Maiden's Kiss. I... And, like, not remembering the name of it and saying it, like, Kiss the Daisies is a game you guys play. Because he's never actually seen anyone play Maiden's Kiss. And he thought it was just, like, a fun game. It doesn't come up anywhere else. So this is the only reference. Yeah, so. so. I think he's saying, I'm not going to stay here and play patty cake with you. I have shit to do. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are his three destinations? Why do I not remember what his three destinations are? Well, Camelin's the one. But I feel like he just does Camelin. Is that all he does? Oh, that's the only thing. He's the only one he does in this chapter. In this chapter. And oh. we didn't do our proper amount of research and, and look ahead. Okay, so he's only doing the one destination tonight. Cool. We will return to that when we get to him going to the other destinations, I guess. He ends up going to Tyr to leave the Ashamon there and Ruidian to retrieve the control statue to Angriel. Uh, yeah, Luz Theron is continuing to pace around and be angry, and then Rand is angry. They're yelling at each other in their head. And Rand's like, oh, I never yelled at Luz Theron that significantly before. I wonder if I hurt his feelings. <laughs> I don't want him to go away. He's my only friend. Yeah, no, it's not great. You hear me, Kenslayer? They go through a stable into the royal palace of Andor. I believe this is the last, other than when he impregnates elaine <laughs> i think this is the last time that he's there he tries to stay away from camelin as a rule yeah which everyone's happy about right mm -hmm. right uh i did want to point out slightly before that fedwin has a wilder block which taim calls a bar which is very much a forsaken term that we assume he gets from demondred mm -hmm. either directly or Indirectly, or from being Demondred. Uh, yeah, oh, I was going to yeah. say directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> However you want to say that, uh, whether you are subscribed to the Demondred uh, theory or not, at that point, he gets all his terminology from a Forsaken either way. Yep. Because he was trained either trained by one or is one. 
Okay, let's back up. How stupid is Rand? Pretty fucking stupid. I mean, how stupid are you? First of all, how many channelers would Taim have trained that he would have a term for that? Per- oh, oh, it's it's just a bar. Happens all the time. It's just what it is. It's a bar, you know. Like, how many wilders have been trained by Taim that he has a term for that, that he refers to it so casually? Now, I suppose he could have made it up, but it doesn't sound like something he would know about. It's just like, how stupid are you, Rand? He's going crazy. How do you not see this? I've been saying that about Deshiva. Deshiva's the only one who knows blue lightning fire. Everyone else uses red fire. How did he learn that? From Not from, like, he must have known that. He must not be, you know, there's a whole thing. With Azula Deshiva's. taught him. Yeah, exactly. Matt, Matt tried to catch the lightning, but it went wrong that one time. So, <laughs> so redirected it. Yeah, Avatar, man. It's great. And not to mention the whole Avatar, Wheel of Time, four powers, or five powers sort of, like, intermixing. It's just, yeah. There's obvious parallels between the two that shows. That and Captain so. Planet. That show is incredibly bad if you ever go back and watch it. It is? Oh, that's yeah. Have you ever seen the Don Cheadle Funny or Die skit where he plays Captain? Okay, you need to, when you get off of here, you guys need to pull up YouTube and type in Don Cheadle Captain Planet. Okay. You will lose your, it's funny as hell. So. <laughs> The, the concept of those elements is also found in like every single earth worship earth worshiping religion ever mm-hmm. the concept of the five elements is slightly broad not universal but pretty gosh darn broad another reason why uh, you gotta love i'm auto filling so many things right now i don't want to say any of them <laughs> bruce willis sci-fi movie fifth element thank you ah yes, yes. which yes fifth element one of my favorite movies of all time it's a great movie it's i don't know why i don't have the tattoo yet i really don't there's something about the five powers that really like creates a compelling story I, i'm telling you wheel of time my mom's even given me a survival mnemonic that goes with the five powers because you need you need them in staggered out things of time right you need to breathe you can only go for like three minutes without air three days without water three weeks without food you know however long without shelter depending and then eventually you need your spirit to get fulfilled Eventually, you're going to need entertainment, storytelling, companionship. It's literally what you need to survive. It's sort of like the pyramids of needs, right? Yeah. That like they expand out like every yeah the you um, know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is not a great concept, and it's really flawed, and it's partially stolen from mm, I forget which Native American tribe the the Iroquois the Iroquois. He was riffing off of some Iroquois stuff and then fucked it up. But nonetheless, yes, that concept. Are you saying? The food pyramid is also not a legitimate way of deciding what to eat. Mm-hmm. That that is a whole separate podcast right there. <laughs> Ten servings of carbs a day isn't good for me. What? No. We really should start a podcast where we just bitch about shit. Brought to you by the same people that say that marijuana is a gateway drug, right? What state are you in? Uh, not one where it's legal. Aww, gotcha. That's a bummer. Yeah, we're in Oregon, so it is, which has been nice. I'm in Ohio, so yeah, uh, yeah, wonderful Ohio. Ohio. I think that's the state I... No, not the first state I got high in. But it was one of the first states I got high in on a road trip. <laughs> uh, Kansas would have been one of mine. Yeah. Kansas is the most boring state I've ever been to in my life. Yes. Flatter than a pancake, topographically speaking. Yes. The, the ratios. Mm-hmm. But isn't, like, Mount Everest flatter than a pancake? The earth is smoother than a bowling ball. Or, no, than a cue ball. Right, same thing. Yeah, all the all the way from the bottom of the Marianas Trench up to the peak of Mount Everest is like less 
pits and divots than a cue ball. <laughs> so Earth is a big place. It's yeah. Really big. Really, really, really big. big. And really smooth. I am at the step through to Camelin. And then there's a bit of a gap where I don't have a whole lot. He's thinking a bit about Alana. Mm-hmm. I see a bit more of the flashes of color when he thinks about Perrin and Matt. I saw another reference to that at the bottom of the like a paragraph. There's a bit of this sort of joking between the Ashaman and the Maidens, where the Maidens are kind of making fun of the Ashaman, and the Ashaman are like getting all flustered, and Rand's like, getting all stand out, boys. They're just making fun of him. Yeah, they're getting all butthurt. It's like, like this is high school, guys. Grow up. <laughs> right. Grow up. Like, this is just, they're just making fun of you. You can, you can deal with it. But I kind of like the idea that the Maidens are almost testing them to see if they're mad. Yeah, and, like, the whole, like, there's a little element of danger, which makes it more fun. I just, like, it's just, like, man, this is one of those things where I wish I could have a little bit of that Aiel, like, chutzpah, you know? Like, they just don't ever quit. It kind of reminds me of, like, throwing knives at poisonous lizards that'll bite you in the, in the desert, right? Like, it's the same kind of game of, like, poke the lizard, try not to get bit. It's a fun game. You probably won't die, but you could. Mm -hmm. Or jumping off of cliffs into the ocean, and if you hit wrong, you might not get your breath back in time. Like, it's a little fun when you might die. It's a little fun when you might die. and I... You probably won't die. And I mean, as someone who has gone skydiving, that was a different adrenaline rush than taking my bike down a hill. <laughs> it's really, really fun and amazing. But um, yeah, when you actually could die, it feels different. <laughs> yeah. No, and I I think there's a, a something in the maidens that live for that, right? Because they fight. Oh yeah, the Aiel cultivate that, and then the maidens cultivate that. Yeah, the maidens are definitely a subset culture of the Aiel. I think they're a little uh, they're a little nuts, but I love them. Like they're my favorite Aiel. Totally. Then again, I have some differing opinions. This might be a definite sidetrack on the on the Aiel in general, though. I'm not a a fan of spankings and. All that kind of stuff that goes on and corporal punishment is the only punishment. Beatings and is the only way to treat. <laughs> like I, people, I think sometimes equate the IEL with being this super honorable, super wise culture. Yet this same super wise culture keeps calling Kyrian and people tree killers when it was literally their king that did it, right? And for some reason, they can't stop hating an entire group of people because of something that you get what I mean. Like it, it would totally yeah. it would totally. be sort of like them saying that all i yield are bad because kuladin was an idiot right right yeah no they have a lot of admirable qualities but they are not inherently superior to any other culture no and i and i don't think that at all in fact in a lot of ways they're very backwards but i think in in it's it's rj's own way of trying to write strength in women the way he writes wise ones and soralia and you know there's a debatable topic there yeah, I love. I, I, in general, though, I love the. I love the. I love the maidens. I love that they are probably the most dangerous Aiel, and they're women. It's one of the one areas where I feel like maybe RJ did succeed a little bit in flipping gender roles well. They, yeah, they do feel like a troop of young male warriors. Sort of like how many times have I met soldiers who did some dumb, dangerous stuff while they were, you know, overseas? Right, mm -hmm. like. They're like, well, you know, it's just what we were doing. I'm like, oh, my God, you would never do that today. And they're like, you know, we're in so much danger. That little bit of extra danger doesn't feel crazy mm -hmm. to us, you know? And, like, and, and, and the joking, the constant joking around and joshing each other. And, yeah, they do it a lot with hand talk rather than with 
uh, verbal words, but we see that where they're constantly trying to embarrass each other because yes, they're warriors and dangerous. They're also teenagers. And they have an identity though, too. I mean, they very much have an identity as a group of people as a subset culture of the IEL in general. And they identify with being maidens more than anything, which is why it's so difficult for them to quote unquote, give up the spear. And there's a fair amount of hazing that goes into that. You know, we don't talk, that's when we talk about the spanking and the, that sort of thing, like, Hate, beatings, that's beatings and, and, that's, camp and that's hazing that's what you know a lot of that like we talk about on college campuses people die from hazing all the time right you can't imagine that like a lot of these maidens don't die from this sort of thing well somehow it's honorable though to <laughs> somehow honorable. hey i lied so you you women get to beat the shit out of me until you feel like you're done <laughs> And that is that is one way, right? The, the other thing that, that Egwene says is that is the fastest way to get rid of your honor. There are other ways to get Still to re- no resume your to honor. Me. But yeah. Fair enough. I just, it's like, I don't find that to be an admirable quality. Let's just put it that way. I but don't think, we, yes. we could do a whole episode about this. Yes. Just I'm tearing sure apart the, the IELTS punishment schemes. Yes. Corporal punishment has never, ever been proven to ever improve anything. It's just punishment uh they bind him up and they're sneaking him in as a prisoner blindfolded and the blindfold freaks him out because it feels like he doesn't like being in the darkness yeah it's a it's a trigger for his ptsd i love the comment on sulin's long bladed knife that's like a foot or more of steel and it's like that's i know i aren't supposed to use swords but that's a short sword yeah not that you would say that to her but the difference between a very long knife and a very short sword is not that much. Academic. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so this is, I think, Sulan is very much push- pushing the edge of what could be called. And I think a lot of the warriors are. Like, I think the, the, the not using a sword is almost a thing in name only at this point. You know? And, and we've seen that. We've seen that change in the culture. And mm-hmm. we see... And Avienda's visions that it's entirely possible that that they lose all respect for not using a sword. Right. They forget why, but I mean that in in that vision is just that they're so desperate any weapon will do. Yeah. At this point, I think it's more of a slow evolution, right? Each generation yeah. of weaponsmiths is like, oh well, if I you know I can engineer it a little better. Over time, they're lengthening towards sword-like proportions, but at the same time, the spear is really efficient. I think they but say their their purpose is to use a weapon that isn't exclusively a weapon. Right. That's the idea. And that a sword is only a sword. It can't be anything else. Yeah. A dagger, though, can be used to cut stuff. And Yeah, it's Perrin's essential struggle with the hammer or the axe. is like the hammer can be used to create also. And the only reason the Aiel don't use an axe is there's no trees in the ways to cut down. So who the heck is right. <laughs> so the axe isn't a tool they use? But I could definitely imagine Aiel using axes and being like, well, now that we're in the wetlands, like... This is a perfectly good, you know, tool. And they pulls out like the finest battle axe you've ever seen that would be ruined if it used against a tree. This is a tool I'm just using. Uh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Azul in chat is pointing out that Scottish dirks with a foot long blade are not swords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it becomes academic. But I imagine that these are longer spearheads than the original Aiel ancestors had on their spears because those were literally just for hunting. I like that Sulin looks at Rand's face and says, they did this to you. Like, she's so empathetic to what Rand's going through, and she's trying to comfort him and look out for him because she has that very sibling relationship with him, right? She doesn't mother him. She siblings him. 
And she's just so empathetic to what he's really going through more than he is, right? He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. She's like, oh, they did this to you. I love Sulin. She's wonderful. She's great. She's in two places at once in a memory of life. Though. Yeah, she is. Didn't they remove that? I was reading an article that it was... Uh... What? What? It was a... Uh... There was a big error in the editing. Yeah. They, they made her, they made her a different maiden in one of those places. They had to fix that. Yeah, the the timeline, folks. Oh, well, that's not going to be in the audiobooks, is it? The audiobooks are going to have her in two places at once. Oh, I think they do. Yeah, I never noticed that. Well, like I said, I've only done the last battle three times. It's so. not something you'll catch unless I, now that yeah. I pointed it out, you might right. catch it. But it's but. one of those things where, like, because the two events happen in very different sequences in the books that are quite a bit separated by time it's like oh it to- and it's just like a name drop in two different places like it's very hard wibbly wobbly timey wimey <laughs> the background behind it too is he had written a lot of the stuff that happens among the three books are kind of intermixed and he reworked because he was originally writing this as one book and then realized there is no way this is going to be one book and so he split and he moved different plot lines. That's why the timelines between The Gathering Storm and Towers of Midnight are really screwy. They're almost happening simultaneously. So you're getting two books that are basically happening at the exact same time. And then he had all this side stuff that he had written for A Memory of Light that they ended up taking out. And so he kind of misplaced where she was in his own head. And she ended up in being in two different armies. <laughs> She's just that awesome. Yeah. So can can we get the the Snyder cut of the final three books, yeah, right? please? I'd like to release the Snyder cut. Can we like? Well, there's a scene with supposedly he talked about this. There's a scene with like Galad and Perrin leading an army into the ways. Yeah, and yeah, the, like the, that was one of the cut scenes. That was and... so good. We did that. Well, we with... read that Fire in the yeah. Ways. Okay, you did yes, that. Okay, yeah. non-canon. And again, I think I, that's one of those things where I think Bayard. Or Gala dies twice, or not Gala. No, ba- it was Bayer. Bayer dies Bayer. twice. So if if that was included, he would have had to not have, ba- like, ba- yeah, there's one of those things where there's a couple other characters who were so in there. So clearly they had to catch a lot of those and smooth them out. And some ended up on the floor, some got rewritten, and one got missed. Gotta be hard. There's 2,700 named characters in the Wheel of Time. I wouldn't have missed them. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we meet uh, Bale and his two wives, Melaine and Dorinda. After Luce Theron gives us the title of the chapter, there are no clear paths, only pitfalls and tripwires and darkness. After Rand's thinking, would I know a clear path if I saw one? So like, nope, no clear paths. There's no way through. No. Is the paranoia, right? Uh, You know what, though? I almost think that's wisdom. And here's why I say that. Anybody who's been in a leadership position where you, you know, where you have to make decisions that affect people. Like even I'm even talking on like a small scale, think like a small business or something. Even then it sometimes feels like you have no, there can be no win scenarios where whatever decision I make is going to screw somebody and I have to try to figure out what's going to be the best. And now you take that to the scale that Rand is in decision-making. There is no good answer for what he's going to have to do. He has to make bad choices. There is no good answer. People are going to die no matter what he chooses to do. Okay. And you know, I'll give you an example. I just, I read, um, I just read Barack Obama's book, um, his first part of his memoir. And again, it's not political or anything. He's just talking about a lot of the things that went into the decision-making while he's president. But that one of the things he's talking about is like, it doesn't matter what I did in like these five scenarios, it was going to be bad. Like there was no answer I could give. There was nothing I could choose that wasn't going to piss somebody off or somebody would die or and he's like, that's just what you deal with as president. And I'm just thinking like, 
that's here. Like that's Randall Thor being the dragon reborn, deciding the fate of nations. Yeah. So even higher stakes, right? This is like, uh-huh. if you don't pull this off, everything Reality else. Reality is on the line. And that's something that Luz Theron was very under, like he very much understood because that's the position that he was in. He had a greater leadership position than Rand did. Rand does now. I mean, Luz Theron essentially ruled the world in, to a degree. And he was prepared for that. He had centuries of practice and support and not being insane. That's why I feel like this is almost a, because every now and then Luz Theron drops these little nuggets of wisdom on Rand. And I feel like, I always felt like this was one of them where it's like, there are no clear paths. You're never going to stop thinking that anything is ever going to be easy. It will never be easy. There's only ever going to be pitfalls that you need to avoid, tripwires, like, that sounds depressing, but I almost think it's moderately the truth. It, yes, but there's there's this aspect in all of LTT's uh, advice that's a little bit of that advice is fine. Too much of it, and all of a sudden you're the trust no one ho- uh, hermit hold up in your house slowly sure. decaying. You know, like there's 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 two there's a spectrum to following LTT's advice, and like thinking there's no clear path means that sometimes. When there is an easy way out and you don't have to worry about a problem and you can just walk out, you don't see it and you don't take it because you don't, you're like, oh, it must be a trick. And so you end up stuck in a morass that you could have left a long time ago. I just saw something else that I'm going to, next time I do a reread or I get to the part where, because I'm not there yet, but where Luz Theron comes back into the picture. In that same line, he says, there are no clear paths, only pitfalls and tripwires and darkness. Luz Theron's snarl sounded sweaty and desperate, the way Rand felt. I want to go back and I want to reread this and see. Every time that we see Luz Theron, is this just mimicking Rand? Yeah, always. Yeah. Like, yeah. is that is that truly what he intended was Luz Theron is literally just mimicking where Rand is at, and that's just Rand projecting. Yeah. That's been sort of my thesis as I've gone through this, that all of LTT's emotions is what Rand is actually thinking and actually feeling it or more actually feeling than thinking right and compartmentalizing it into ltt basically exactly yeah and it's like ltt is constantly ranting about wanting to kill the ashaman rand wants to do that rand Mm -hmm. is scared of them and you know not mentally he understands mentally why he can't do that but he is terrified of the ashaman they have the one thing that makes him special which is the one power and he was trained to think of all of them as scary himself included right that's interesting i'm gonna have i've never i've never read it or listened to it with that in my mind as i did it but i definitely want to do that again and see if it kind of fits all the way through if it's like oh god robert jordan was clearly like a super visionary that i've read the books 30 times and never caught this <laughs> This is i mean i'm not sure it's like a hundred percent explicit but for the most part when LTT starts ranting, it's because Rand is feeling anxiety. Rand is feeling fear. Rand is feeling some negative emotion. And he's like, no, I'm fine. And then LTT's going off in the background with this big flashing red alarm being like, you're not fine. You're not fine. You're not fine. You're not fine. You know, and that's that's what that emotion is. What I think Rand is doing when he's just suppressing that bu- that noise to a buzzing is literally just pushing down the emotions. And dissociating sure. and compartmentalizing yeah creating multiple personalities for himself and literally doing the thing that your therapist says don't do which is push it down and don't talk about it to anybody yeah well you know as i've heard it said on other podcasts there are no therapists in randland and there needs to be a therapy aja so grindel's open (laughs) 
I also need to correct myself because chat is lovely. SpoilerCon 2020 was when we did Fire in the Ways. That was a great episode for that, mm-hmm. for SpoilerCon. I really that enjoyed was really Spoiler. Yeah, that was a fun one. I don't know how we're going to top that this year, but we'll find a way. Don't make promises. We can... Okay. We... We'll do something we're wonderful. We're going to do something. Uh, yeah, I don't know how we're going to, I don't know how we're going to follow up with that because that was, uh, that was a really good, good story. And I hadn't read it until like the day before. So that was fun. Anyway. I, I did note here that Jordan makes a point of saying that Sister Wives is a very rare thing, even among Aiel. Mm-hmm. Like, even though we know, like, a bunch of them, <laughs> it's like, even though every relationship we know about in the Aiel is Sister Wives, it's supposed to be rare. Yeah, we just happen to meet all the examples. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, th- I think it has a lot to do with clan chiefs and responsibilities and powerful men being much more likely to have sister wives than not powerful men. I think that's probably the comment he's making, but that's the best I can pull out of that. Behind every super powerful man is an, a team at of least two powerful women. women. Yeah, at least two powerful <laughs> women. No, but you know, the way that they're always done is it's not the man's choice. Like, I think that to a degree, this can come across as like male fantasy to have all these women, like I've got three women to choose right, from at right. once, whatever. But in reality, the way it fleshes itself out, at least the way they talk about it, is it's not it's not his choice. Like, right. they get together. We're going to be sister wives. By the way, you're getting married now. <laughs> like, is almost kind of the way, it, to me, it kind of come, comes across. We talked about this on our podcast, actually, because this has been a... I love that episode. Did you? Yeah, okay, did, yeah. I'm glad. It was a good conversation, because we didn't all completely agree on everything either, which was kind of cool. But... And I think it's a worthwhile discussion because the idea of polyamory being different to a degree than polygamy, what are those differences? Is it, is this just uh, putting male fantasies in there where men have multiple wives? And RJ actually tells this story in an interview of where, when he was in college, two girls wanted to date him together. And he did for a while. Like in the context of that discussion, it is like they actually got decided amongst themselves and then asked him and so i almost can't help but think that's where some of this context comes from is that discussion that rj had with sister wives like they're sisters and then they're choosing you not hey i'm a man i'm gonna date her and i'm gonna date her and i'm gonna date her yeah and i guess when i say powerful man what i'm saying is maybe i should say power couple a couple doesn't work power really should try try thank you a powerful triad right that because power couple is the word I was going for, but it's yeah, three power people, triad. So power, power triad. That, like, basically by having these three driven, powerful people get together, they all are advantaged from that. And then you end up with clan chiefs, roof mistresses, and wise ones together in a relationship. And it's like, holy shit, that's like the trifecta of power in the Aiel. They, the three of them together make a decision to push for something. They can push the entire society. My only problem with it is the canonical non- bisexuality of the arrangements right and that's something that i can very easily just headcanon over and hope that the show can address because the whole arrangement makes so much more sense to me if there's complete pansexuality on the table for the ideal culture well, it makes sense in that degree except the way that they call themselves sisters which i just again i'm right, gonna headcanon like, right in- over that yeah. i don't fucking i I cannot with it being a sibling. Because you could, okay, but let's sister wives, being, right? They're, sister wives, 
Yeah, but then like Avienda and Elaine are sister wives. But I absolutely ship them so hard. You can't yeah, we stop are, it. they're totally a couple. They're totally sleeping right? in the same bed through most of the series. Like there's a point where Elaine's like, "Oh, that side of the bed's so cold because uh, Avienda's mm-hmm. not here." Like they are in. The, I I had canon. There are a couple. Avienda, will you go take a bath? Exactly. With me? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, right? they are a couple. Like I I barely see it as head canon. It's so there. So it's like that's the one thing. That I think is like, I wish RJ could have done better with that. Just to have it on the table. Not that everyone has to be in a complete everything. To be devil's advocate, though, would that not make more people mad, though? Because now you are playing totally into this perceived male fantasy with, hey, I've got two lesbians that sleep with me. Well, that's why I'm saying pansexuality on the table is a concept. And it's not everyone's with everyone. It's just you see lots of different variations then then I would be okay with it because then clearly everyone's choosing it. But it's like only the man is sleeping with multiple people. Is like, why is your dick the center of the story? Well, then you also have to normalize gay Aiel. Like ma- Which I gay absolutely needs to be a thing. Yes. <laughs> and, that, and that's where everyone, the, the Gaul-Perrin relationship or like Gaul- Oh yeah, the Stone Wolf. Yeah. 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 Like- yeah. yeah. And I mean, no, like- yeah, it's it's so there. It's so almost there in canon. It's just not quite there that it's like, you know, this is a great spot for the show to be like, this is how we're going to take away the weird specifics. We're just going to throw it all out there. We, we, you got Pillow Friends and Spear Brothers. I really like that. Spear Brothers? I don't like Pillow Friends. I'll be frank with you. I think it now this is coming from somebody who is bisexual, right? So, like, I'm coming at this from a different standpoint, but I don't like the pander i don't like the way that they make it seem like it's a phase situational yeah. lesbianism is not a yes. yes yeah that yeah. that that and i think it was an attempt to be progressive so i'm now i'm going to credit that where credit is due right however in the very same way that halima is not a great representation of trans <laughs> so being trans like that's not a good representation. i don't think it is a representation right. at right. all and, right well yeah. no but i think people will attribute it and, and, I, and people I, ask yeah. people you know, have to ask the question like, is yes. this trans representation? And then we have to say, no. No, it's not. Yeah. So I think you need to normal. But on the same token of that, and I, I flip this around too, what I don't want to see is pandering. I don't want them to make somebody a, and make a big deal of something simply to make a big deal of something, right? Like, I want to be represented on screen but I don't yeah. want it to be, I don't want to be pandered to. Does that mean, there's a difference in but, those two yeah, I'd love to see, yeah. like, when you're in the Black Tower and you see a bunch of the spouses of the Ashaman who are pissed off that Rand is doing them, have a couple of men's thrown in there. Make it real. Like, I don't think they need to add tons of gay characters or make, make Rand gay all of a sudden or something. You know I mean? I don't think they need to do that. But my point is, I think there's enough in there that's canon or I'll give you a great example of a character that would be very easy to make gay and not change the story at all. Talmanis, right? You could, I mean, he almost fits a stereotype already mm-hmm. and Matt kind of jabs at him. I, I think that could be, a, it's a, what I'm, those are the type of normalized, like these people exist in the world because they exist in our world. That's all that it needs to be. It doesn't need to be a central theme, but I love the fact that just gay Aiel would exist. Because that normalizes a lot of the stuff that I think people can find cringy, that is a little male fantasy esque. If 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 you have the opposite be true, it normalizes it all. Exactly, because then you're not focusing on the specifics. You just let it be what it is. Because shocker, spoilers—that's how the world is. Right. (laughs) 
Shocking. And I think we're all hoping that Wraith is going to come from that from a first-person perspective and have some idea of how to pull that off um, in his (laughs) stories, you know. He might. You know, he might, you know. He better. (laughs) That more, one of the things I wish we talked about more is a lot of the reasons we talk about representation in Wheel of Time is because of who's making it. Because Mm -hmm. the people who are making it are themselves a better representative of the population than most filmmakers. And so I think we are super excited to see the diversity in the staff become diversity in the cast become diversity in the entire show uh, in the storyline itself <laughs> because we haven't had much to comment on other than casting right like i think that's what's led to this being a very common discussion yeah no i mean robert jordan's work is definitely very progressive for its time because we are able to not really have to break canon to have a more diverse set of people interpreting it in a new way and be like yes it's updated but like it's not that much of canon breaking to have this in there it's pretty much how we wrote it despite how dated and cringy some parts are (laughs) like yeah it's mostly headcanon breaking yeah it's yeah and that's a really good testament to what he wrote he wrote something flexible enough that we can see ourselves even in in that we can still be like no i see my representation and i want it to come a little more forward As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, in my Discord server, and I'm sure you guys have this too. You the most of the most Wheel of Time fans are, I would say, between the ages of thirty and fifty. Okay, on average, I would say thirty is on the low end for the most part. Now there are a brand new group of fans who are in that younger generation um, that don't necessarily understand. Like maybe grew up in a different time because I I will see this. It's very obvious because the people that are super critical of RJ and saying that well I don't care time doesn't matter it's not. He didn't do a good enough job with representation. It's like, guys, like I, I grew, when I grew up in high school, there was not a single, I, I had a graduating class of almost 600. There was not a single openly gay person in my entire class, let alone my entire high school. I mean, if you think about this, Ellen was the first openly gay television show. Like, and that was in the mid to late 90s, right? Was the first time that a gay woman was on TV. The To the degree that he even put this in the books to begin with at the time that he started writing these, I think is significant. 
um, because that was it was a different time. And it's weird to think that 25 years ago was that different of a time, but it, it was. really was. Yeah. It really yeah. was. And I think that's hard for younger people to maybe understand because they've grown up in a world with marriage inequality or equality, I should say, to a degree, right? It's legal now to be married and gay. It wasn't 10 years ago. Right. 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 So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, even it wasn't that long before that where even heterosexual relationships in media weren't that normalized. Showing people in two different beds in the beginning of TV mm-hmm. was very common, right? Like yeah. just the, the march of representation of all sexualities, starting with straight <laughs> representation, <laughs> has come so far yeah. in, in media. That sexuality exists. That sexuality exists, yeah. And that like, first of all, yeah, we had to acknowledge that it existed. And then we had to acknowledge that it was not the same for everybody. And then we had to like, Start acknowledging the ways it was different from, for everybody. Yeah. Well, go, go back to the mid 60s. Star Trek had the first interracial kiss on television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it caused a major uproar where people were writing into the studio talking about the disgusting yeah. stuff that they were putting on TV. And it's such a people corny would think kiss. The representation. Yeah, and <laughs> it is. It's, corny, it's stupid. stupid but the idea that representation doesn't matter, that stuff can normalize things. And that's to me why representation is important that they nail it in the right way if it is pandering it misses the point if it's simply to say look these people exist and they're here that's that's where i differentiate with the pillow friends like i don't like that per se because i feel like it is cringy to say oh it's just a phase because anytime you put a bunch of boys or a bunch of girls together they're just going to start screwing with each other like no that doesn't happen it might if they're already bi or gay, but it doesn't, you Which know what I mean? Which probably like will, because some of them probably will be, because we're everywhere. But yeah, yeah. I, I worked at a military high school briefly, um, teaching, and a bunch of people got sent there when their parents discovered them smoking pot for the first time. Well, when you put a bunch of boys together in a dorm who all just smoke pot for the first time, guess what happens? <laughs> <laughs> they all find ways oh, to get, right. yeah, they all find ways to get pot and learn from each other. And one of them knows how to get different drugs and it gets worse. And it's like, what are you doing? You're concentrating the problem in one place. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And and thinking you can solve it by like being stricter is not going to work for you uh, no matter what. So don't recommend taking a bunch of women who might be experimenting with their sexuality and sending them off to a school together where they sleep in the same room, right? Like, you know, yes, that's probably not a good solution if you're trying to prevent underage people from sleeping together. Right. Yeah, and it always made sense to me that I said I would find a lot of relationships with each other because of the lifespan aspect, if nothing else. Like, you study together you go through these trials together, you know that you're going to outlive almost everyone except each other. Like, it makes sense. But yeah, the whole it's just a phase is like... <sighs> well, the idea that an Aes Sedai will go through seven warders in her lifetime because they're all going to die of old age. Yeah, I wouldn't want to get romantically involved with a warder. Fuck that. <laughs> like... <laughs> or don't fuck that, don't, as the okay. case may be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like... Ro- well, now we're way off topic. See, we have any. I'm, my no, bad. That's why I have this. I have this approach. But like, Ramonda's like 320 years old or something. Like, how many warders has she had? My God. Right. I mean, I think Todd like, Swain's one of the only Aes Sedai that we see. Just like keep going through them. Like she's just like, oh yeah, give me another. <laughs> like because she's she goes through so many warders. Put that in perspective. That would mean that an Aes Sedai in our time, like Cad Swain, would have been born 
about the same time that Boston was being founded. I... Like, she would have been born somewhere around, no, a little after that, probably around, like, 1670, 16, like, that's how old she that's is. That's how old-fashioned she is. Yeah. Imagine if we still had the Founding Fathers running around today being like... The kids millions. these days! Yeah. <laughs> Luz Theron was 400 years old. Right. Luz right. Theron would have been born in 1600. But you have to wonder, how do people keep changing over those years, right? What that's happens fair. to that's someone fair. who lives that long? Do they become... Because they're not getting older in, like, physical sense. Yeah. Like, they can still do whatever. People tend to stick with the things they learned in their youth. Like, we know that old people like the music that they listen to in their 20s. Or That's still my favorite music. Always will be. Doesn't matter how old I get, right? Like, it's grocery stores certain... where they're playing by jams. <laughs> but, okay, I challenge you on that, though. Think... Betty White, somebody who's been in entertainment, who has consciously been like, she's still funny now. And she's like 100 years old. <laughs> but she's the exception, not the rule. Well, but my point is, is like, she's somebody that has stayed in a spotlight where she has to keep up. She hasn't been allowed to necessarily get old. I Sedai are going to be up on the latest everything, unless they're just retiring off to the middle of nowhere to do their thing. Like, they're always going to be at the forefront of knowledge because they have more of it than anybody power because they have more of it than anybody money because they have more of it than just about anybody right they make ten thousand gold crowns a year which is like the equivalent of like 10 million dollars well then there's like van dean and adelius you know those who are like off in their little hut on their own like that's the thing is that they're they don't lose the brain functions nearly as early right so they can stay way more open and receptive to learning experiences for centuries before they start to get well then scale it out to like naive how long she's going to live without the oath rod like she's projected to live to be 800 right i'm curious i would be interesting to see a Aes Sedai slowly going senile and what would you do with a powerful Aes Sedai who maintained all their power but didn't know what decade they were in anymore didn't know who their family was anymore isn't that essentially what they gentlemen for? Say, I feel like a cup of wine would probably be yeah. the way to go. <laughs> Solve <that> problem. <laughs> Put her down. I, I kind of think uh, Charles Xavier in Wolverine, in uh, the movie Logan. Yeah, like just kind of going crazy. Still crazy powerful, but. That, that would be frightening. Oh, were we reading a chapter? In we the were. Real time we started or... at Sister Wives. Oh, I, I forgot. We started at Sister Wives. So, sister Wives is what set us off on this tangent. Wow. <laughs> you guys said meander, so I felt like a okay, yeah, no, tangent. Know, I did. Colaver has taken up farming. Davram has interesting marital advice. Bale gets stabbed for having opinions. Ugh. But yeah, I want. I want to stop him. I want to talk about that. Getting stabbed as a method of of marital enforcement is something Jordan has no problem with. Yeah, not Something cool. That's, not, not that's cool. abuse. Yeah. Marriage knives. A little bit of hair pulling. Fine. Yeah. Stabbing people. Not yeah. fine. Not fine. You've crossed fine. the line when you draw blood. Just a point, you know, when people really get f mad at Thailand for pulling out a knife on Matt. I'm like, she didn't actually stab him, though. Like, and here we just brush right by it. Casual stabbing. Well, in, in fairness, in Matt's scene, the narrative also rushes right by it. It's those of yeah. us that have a problem with the salt that get hung up on it. Yeah. So, and this is what I get hung up on this a little bit as well, right? Like this casual, like stabbing your it's husband. It's funny. To enforce your, yeah. It's, it's, this, this it's not funny. Yeah, it's not funny. This is going to, first of all, I want to preface this by saying I'm not defending the action at all. Okay. Because it's the same 
I think it's easy. It's, it's good for us to be able to judge it and say, that's clearly not something that fits in our society. Right. If I flip that around though, there are what, what I think I would not have Robert Jordan write it differently. Okay. In the same way that I don't agree with pretty much anything the Sean Chan do, but I don't want any of those things removed from the story. Okay. Because there are cultures that have really weird customs. Okay. Like I, I'll give you an example of something that in the United States sounds appalling. France just made it illegal to have sex with somebody under the age of 15. The fact that that wasn't illegal up until a few days ago is strange here, right? Very strange. What do you mean? It's just an example of what I'm talking about. You can get married at the age of 12 because you were raped in this country. Yeah. Again, I'm not, I'm not condoning those things. What I'm saying though, is, is that in different cultures, there are really weird customs that they don't think anything of because it has been so ingrained think about how hard it is for us to drop racism sexism in our culture and we even kind of know that those things are bad to a degree and I, I, yeah and the point i guess i was trying to make is is necessarily not that everyone gets hung up on the thailand thing and there's so much more of that. There's so much more uh, of that in all. Oh, way more and this that. is another example, right? Like this is why, why are we so hung up on that one example when it happens in so many of the relationships so often throughout wheel of time? That's, that's, I guess, what the point I was trying to, to say. Well, yeah. and I, and I, I guess my point is a separate one. Cause I agree with you. I just think that there are a lot of people I've seen say, well, we should remove those things from the story. And my point of view on it is, I don't have to agree with everything that happens in the story because that's a part of the distinction of these cultures. Cause trust me, Rand thinks that's weird. You don't find people doing that necessarily in the two rivers. They'll box your ears, which is a horrible thing to do to somebody. Separate <laughs> I'll take your hearing away. <laughs> uh, but you know, you don't see them stabbing their wives or something. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen there. So there are cultural differences. And I think that's one of the things Robert Jordan very clearly was trying to do is establish that these cultures do feel very weird to each other. And they all kind of view them that way. Like everybody thinks the Aiel are weirdos. The Shan Chan are awful. The Shan Chan don't think they're awful. They think they're normal. Everybody else is weird. And I think that's what he was going for. My opinion on it is, again, I can think that all of those things are wrong. Don't hear me saying I'm defending any of that. I'm not. And, and I think one of the ways I, I look at that is him saying every culture has abuses and issues in it that yes. they don't see. And I'm trying to I'm trying to showcase those in various different ways in various different cultures. In Randland, in, in, in Two Rivers, you have toxic masculinity. Ideal culture, you have stabbing each other. In Ebudar, you have stabbing each other. <laughs> don't forget uh, spanking. Um, and to go back to your point before about the Aiel being held up as some sort of special level of noble, here's a great example of how they aren't exactly. because they're stabbing each other in their marriages. This is how you know they are not special and honorable. Right. I, th- I think a lot of people do really like the Aiel culture, though, because it has a code of honor, and they like this the idea of G.E. Toe. And, and, and the G.E. Toe is the on- – I sort of see the honor in, like – taking the dark one prisoner rather than killing him is how rand comes to realization you know so there's some inherent honor in the culture that i think people see elevating it yeah just don't imitate all aspects all of, of it. it yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it's flawed right. but yeah no i agree taking it out of the show would be would be a disservice to the story yeah that's kind of what i'm trying to say is i just want to be very clear i am not defending stabbing abuse right, right, yeah. slavery <laughs> not defending no. these things don't hear me no, say no, that. No, of course not. Uh, I'm just saying I don't want them removed simply because they don't fit in what I think culture no, should. They look should like. just be handled right. well. Don't 
play this stuff for laughs. I agree with that. And I also agree that I don't want it to only ever happen to women. Yes. Like, you get what I mean? Like, there is a, because that's also a theme. And that's a whole different discussion we could have. Even spread of the bad shit, please. And even spread of the non-consensual nudity, please. Or just less of non-consensual nudity and more consensual nudity. That would be great, too. <laughs> right now, every one, of your call, every one of your listeners thinks that Nabeless condones slavery and stabbing. And we are starting the episode with that quote. <laughs> 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 so let's see if we can actually like get, get a little further in the chapter. Um, I think that's where we should go to, yeah. Has Elaine arrived? Not yet. Not yet, basically. And he's like, oh, well, then what the hell is the point of all of this? So, like... so he was basically being a complete drama queen. Exactly. For nothing. He, for nothing. <laughs> There's no nothing. audience to be dramatic for. Congratulations. Such a teenager. Well, what he was trying to do is sneak. He just didn't want anyone to know he was there. He should have woven himself a goddamn mask of mirrors like he does later when he comes back to impregnate her. Mm-hmm. That would have been easier. Oh, yeah. But Does he know how to do that? Yeah. Has he done it yet? Yeah, he did it with a. He hid a Gwen before well, that was he behind got captured. Bent light. He still wove it. Yeah, though. and he recognized the mask of mirrors when the eyes to die came to confront him, and he was like, "Do you think to impress me with that?" Yeah, basically, he should know it by now. He should have or be able to figure it out. But yeah. he's being dramatic, presumably because he's overreacting to everything because he's still really traumatized from Dumas Wells and hasn't really fully de- suppressed that yet. It's still on its way down <laughs> on the suppression process. Yes. We get this really great quote from Dira. When you leap from a cliff, it is too late for anything but holding to your courage <laughs> and hoping there's a haywain at the bottom to land in. I mean, I agree with Davram. That's funny. It is funny. And I love how the men are like, oh, that means we must make our best effort to charge forward. And she's like, that's not really what I meant. I meant once you've jumped off a cliff, you kind of just hold your breath. Yeah, maybe you should like, not jump off a cliff. Not jump off the cliff. <laughs> right, yeah. And the, the men are like, we are falling off a cliff. We must fall with intention. You know? And then she's like, don't, don't jump. Maybe. Don't jump. This is, this is why there's so many of the wives involved in this council is because they don't trust their husbands to plan shit <laughs> at this point. They're like, mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, and then Rand is confused about where Matt is because he thinks that Matt is with the army that's moving across Altara or Miradi. And it's like, well, Actually, you're not going to find out for a couple of books, but that's not where Matt is. Yeah, he's down in Ebudar with yeah. Lane. Matt's on a different trajectory at this point. And then there's this interesting thing where Rand is paying attention to maps and stuff and there's all these conversations happening behind him that he's not paying attention to so it's easy for you as the reader to not pay attention to but it's also right there mm. and then he catches up with the conversation like pages later and it's like funny to like you have to go back and reread them like a few times to be like okay this is Rand's actual process because he's hearing all this stuff and just not processing it and thinking about completely different things he's thinking strategically while they're all talking interpersonally about politics and his reactions and he's just like, maps, maps, maps. I always thought it was weird. I never took any of these little rebellions very seriously. And I suppose neither did Rand. Sure. To a degree, sure. right? Like, because they make a big point to say all these people are rebelling against them. And it's like, dude, you have 700,000 Aeol that will do whatever the hell you tell them to. And you're talking about these little measly armies of like 10,000 people camped. With no channelers. Like, I don't know. I just never took, I never made it a big deal in my head. And I don't understand why they ever kind of considered it that way. And I uh, maybe they don't, because Rand, I guess, at one point says, let them stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can rot. It's fine. 
And I feel like when he, like, walks out to the rebel camp in a costume and, like, mocks them, basically, to their faces, I feel like, yeah, he's not taking it seriously either, right? And then Fane shows up, and suddenly what was a very lighthearted situation becomes very, very serious. Mm -hmm. But that was him just basically poking. He's like, I'm going to go out there and poke fun at uh, Riotin. Because, like, they're so dumb. I'll just go kick them over. Well, and I love watching Rand's little Taviran stuff work on Darla. Yeah. And Colavere and like Colavere under not Colavere, I'm sorry, uh Moraine's cousin. What's her name? Caroline. 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 I love watching and obviously we're talking about a chapter later, but you said tangents, okay? <laughs> uh so you can't yell at me. But I, I I I love that watching that happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. That's a fun scene to watch him walk in and like everyone be like, Oh, it would be such a coincidence if so-and-so showed up hello and that so-and-so shows up like there's that that fun little coincidence uh of, of that scene yeah yeah this is not that though this is a lot of catching up and exposition 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 yeah we are jumping through this because there's there's some stuff here that just isn't it's just yeah about. it's yeah. yeah they're never serious threats aside from helping drive rand into random situations that have nothing to do with the actual politics some of it sets up for Elaine later, but we can talk about it when we get to Elaine. Like, and some of it sets up for the attack on Ilian, but we can talk about that when we get to that later. Yeah, we have another reminder that Rand doesn't have his little Buddha that allows him to, you know, nerf all of the Forsaken. Well, and this is the explanation. When before he was tearing through the the wagons, and Perrin is like, you know, he he can get a better jacket when we get home. Why is he looking for a jacket? You know, and it's not. He was looking for the the, the Buddha. And it's so funny because it's like... Which apparently he goes back and finds yeah, later. Which is just... Apparently, randomly, that appears for no reason. Urgh, Sanderson. Even when he was desperate for it, he didn't find it. But sure, later when he's zen... I think he it was... I, I think it was that Sanderson needed a reason for Rand to be able to kill 100,000 Trollocs by himself. He couldn't just have found another and he, one. He had written it and needed to go back and retcon how that was possible. So, oh, he found the Angriol. That was kind of a little, little drop that we got later. Yeah. I just wish he would have found a different one. Like, couldn't you just have just... They're all over the place, apparently. <laughs> Why do you have to make this one show? Oh, whatever. Also, the whole, like, oh, yeah, if with this one, I can defeat any Forsaken. Unless they also have one? Like, is that not... Did that Because never the Forsaken to totally wouldn't bring a gun to a gunfight. Right, That's ridiculous. Right. One of the Forsaken should have been able to make them. Just saying. Seriously. Yeah. Or, like, known how to find or do them. Something. Or broken into the White Tower. Or... Well, that that's the biggest plot hole in the entire story in my opinion is why they didn't just travel into the I so much frustration words. i've said those words like why didn't they just go steal go the song real like, like can you imagine right yep. for a song real? Just, yeah masana knew where it was come on there's so many caches all over the place that are known to exist <sighs> yeah this is why playing D D in wheel of time is hard is because you can very quickly break everything because you've actually thought about how the power should actually be used yeah once once you think of quindr engine parts the whole everything else from there is downhill yeah yeah because then you're like wait if i mix science and magic i can do anything well, there you have the age of legends yeah yeah then you might literally make a wormhole in the middle of your research center or whatever the yeah. fuck happened there connecting to the ancient power of evil that created the universe yeah, yeah cool. that's generally what happens you know, he could just create the shattering. It's fine. And I just want to point out that the reason he went and got the Choden Call is because he couldn't find the fat man, Terangriol. There are nine Aes Sedai at an inn called the Silver Swan. Is that Codswain? No. Codswain's in Kyrian. No, so there's two groups, right? So there's the Red Sisters who are appearing and then disappearing. 
Yeah. Both of the groups are having the coming and goings. There's two different groups of different sizes, but they have the same like trickling in and trickling out. Gotcha. I'm not sure what this group is. Is this Rebels? No. This, these are the, uh, if I remember right, these are some of the Aes Sedai that were sent to break down the Black Tower. No, those are the Reds, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, these are Reds. No, these aren't. There's a reference to two groups here. The nine Aes Sedai at an inn called the Silver Swan. Those are not Reds. They all have borders. Then there's a second group of Reds who are trickling in and out of the city. And those are Tovain's Reds who are going to attack the Black right. Tower. We're, we're trying to figure out which group of Aes Sedai are the not Reds. And I would assume the Rebel Tower. Could it be the Black Aja? They all have warders. Is it? No, because they're coming and going. Because it's not just the one group. It, it must be... But like the Rebels, why would they be there? Because they had already they have their embassy that they already went to him with. And it can't be anything to do with Cad Swain because she's, you know, a solo. She's in Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, and she's in Kyrie. Well, she has a crew, but they're all in Kyrie. Yeah, this is... And she can't travel yet. And almost a month ago. What is almost a month ago? What was happening almost a month ago? Rand got captured. He was on the road for a while. So, okay, looking at the wiki, since we're not pulling it out of our heads. As Red Sisters did not say, stay there, and the Rebel Aes Sedai stayed at the Crown of Roses Inn, it can be assumed those at the Silver Swan were most likely unaligned sisters, presumably owing allegiance to Codswain. Sisters continued to stay there after Rand left the city. They never approached Elaine. The Sea Folk sent an ambassador there demanding the return of... Morella and Shallan? Talon and Morel, yeah. Oh, Talon, right. Because those, Talon, those two disappeared, but obviously those I said I would know nothing about it, and but presumably that's how Amelia met the Windfinders. Well, I could honestly see, think of like Liana having her Tarvalin network of eyes and ears i could see cad swain having like eyes to die eyes and ears basically being like okay come to the city and just watch and communicate and tell me everything and don't do anything like i just think the connected to cod swain seems a stretch it's a stretch but like i think so too what else because it's not tovain there's a huge group of black aja sisters that come there that we know stay in in Kamelin. that elaine isn't sure who they are for a while until I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to remember who else. I don't think it could be with Cad Swain it's because this is before travel. For Cad Swain. This is before there's any travel. Right, right. So, and Cad Swain can't travel, and nor is communication that fast at this point between the two cities. You know, they're 500 miles apart. So, what I'd assume, though, is unaligned sisters is correct because we do know about a third of the sisters are in the White Tower, about a third of the sisters in the Rebel Tower. But there are other little groups who are yeah, just sort like of standing third. by and waiting to see what happens. And there's dark, there's Black Aja. And there's so Black Aja. Yeah. you've definitely got, they could be moving around too under like Black Aja orders, unaligned or otherwise. And yeah, they just kind of go their own ways and end up where they end up, depending on how the story plays out. Like Robert Jordan's just like stashing a bunch of them because he knows he's going to need them later. He's just like, just go be over there. It's but yeah, I can imagine that if you're unaligned, you might end up wanting to hang out with other unaligned sisters to be like, well, at least collectively <laughs> we're a group. But they don't really do anything ever. I mean, but yeah, the part where there's no reds with them. But it's funny because Tovain's party does have more than reds. And none of those are unaligned or Black Aja, by definition. So it could be both. It could be multiple groups that are just like, you know, pretending not to know each other. I don't know. Oh, Super Skylake is mentioning Duhara. 
Yeah, I was reading her wiki. That's who I, that's the group I thought it was. Oh, because they come for Elaine. They don't come for the Black Tower. Are they sent by Mogedian? No, they're no, sent by Elida. they're sent by all the Arn. Well, yeah. Well, they're technically sent by Elida, but yes, by all the Arn. Yeah, they're sent by the, the White Tower itself to Elaine to try to support her in her quest for the throne. But Elaine hasn't come to Camelon right. yet, so I don't know that that could be them yet. Well, that's well Elida and Alviara know that Morghese is missing, so they could have sent a delegation to Camelon ahead of whatever actually happens. Like, well, Elaine's going to show up or something. Well, but else. they also know that Rand was there. So I don't know. I'm just thinking, like... Yeah, this is a weird one. I'm guessing that there's a lot of different parties that are actually interacting, and just because we never have a POV close enough to it, we don't know all the specifics. Because there's a lot of people moving through. Yeah, I mean, Elida sends Duhara to Camelin in Knife of Dreams. Oh, so that's like ten days from now. The way the book's line timeline compresses. Right, so it's it's a while from now. Okay. So that it can't be them yet. So unaligned has to be is unaligned or black. Hey, this is editing Seth. I've done a fair amount of research into this. There's not a lot of evidence as to what's going on here. In Crossroads of Twilight, we find out that green, gray, brown, and yellow sisters are all staying here, but not blue or red, which makes me think, again, neutral sisters. We also see three brown sisters send a message via pigeon from the hoop and arrow. And that information is sent back to the White Tower. So that doesn't give us any more information uh, than we already had. I do think these are independent... Aes Sedai. Yeah, for as much screen time as these Aes Sedai get, it's very surprising to me that we don't have more information as to who they are or who they're aligned with. Um, and we don't get a resolution, as far as I can tell, as to where they end up. Uh, they're in Camelin, up until it's invaded, I guess, by the Trollocs. If you have any information, if you have any ideas, I'd love to get an email about this. Now, the one thing that I thought was interesting was, and this is kind of aside the next part of this conversation, is they're talking about Andoran politics and Dylan imprisoning people, but they say Dylan imprisons them with Pelivar and Luan, who we later find out are down combating, like standing up to Egwene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the meeting on the ice. Like, why were they in Erangel and then they made Dylan the regent until Elaine returns, but then all of a sudden they're against Elaine? No, they're not. Because that's the wording here. It says that. Because I, th- I always thought that it was that they were backing Dylan up. Well, they were, but they said until Elaine returns is the way that it's worded. Maybe that's just the way that it's said. I think, and then well, Elaine, they, by default, Elaine will then become queen. It says, they announced Dylan as regent the next morning in Elaine's name until the- Elaine returns. Most of the houses of Andor have declared support for Dylan. I think they would like for her to take the throne herself, but Arangel keeps even the most powerful careful of their tongues because she imprisoned them. But before that, the line before that is, and by sunset, Dylan, Pelivar, and Luan had arrested them both in reference to Elenia. And anyways, I, I just, the way that it's worded or the way that Bashir is saying it implies that Pelivar and Luan, Luan were backing Dylan as the regent until Elaine returns. They do get very prickly about the transition once Elaine and Dylan are in the same room. They're like, Dylan, please. If Elaine agrees, will you agree? And then Dylan's like, no. But Pelvar and Luan are two of the houses that confront the Aes Sedai army moving up through Andor that that uh, Egwene uses to kind of solidify power. That's a weird, I don't get a lot about that scene. That's where we get deep into the politics. Yeah, I'm going to need you to hold my hand for that because I'm just like, this is a 
bunch of saber rattling and I don't like it. <laughs> no, and there's, there's, we get a little bit of that going on here where it's a little bit of name soup where we have all these different houses who are like just supporting different folks, but. Well, we may have been recording for two hours and 20 minutes, so. Yeah, our brains are a little fried at this point, so. Yeah. yeah I think we've, we've, maybe I should just uh, read us out. So this is Rand basically being like, okay, I'm out, right? Elaine's not here. Everything's fine. I don't need to do anything. Yeah. It's good delegation. I'm, I'm piecing out. Yeah, it's like, good delegation. He's like, yeah. nothing's on fire. I'm going to go see what else might be on fire. And so he says, Fedwin there is in Ashamont, he said. He can bring messages to me in Kyrian if there's need. That with a glare from Elaine, who returned the blandest sort of look. Dira studied Fedwin as she might a dead rat some over-eager dog had dropped on her rug. Davram and Bale were more considering. Fedwin tried to stand straighter under their gaze. Don't let anyone know who he is, Rand went on. No one. That's why he isn't wearing black. I am taking two more to Lord Samondrid and High Lord Weirman tonight. They'll have what they need when they face Samael in the Dorlan Hills. I will be busy chewing on Kyrian for a while yet, it seems. And maybe Andor, too. Does this mean you will send the spears forward at last, Bale said. You give the orders tonight? Rand nodded, and Bashir gave a great hoot of laughter. Now that calls for good wine! or it would if it wasn't hot enough to make a man's blood thick as porridge. Laughter slid into a grimace. Burn me, but I wish I could be there. Still, I suppose holding Camelin for the dragon reborn is no small thing. You always want to be where the swords are bared, my husband. The era sounded quite fond. The fifth, Vale said. You will allow the fifth in Ilion when Samel has fallen. A ill custom allowed the taking of fifth, of all that was in a place taken by force of arms. Rand had forbidden it in Camelin. You would not give Elaine a city looted, even that much. They will have the fifth, Rand said. But it was not of Samael or Ilian that he thought. Bring Elaine quickly, Matt. It ran wild in his head, across Lewin's Theron's cackling. Bring her quickly, before Andor and Kyrian both erupt in my face. Boom. Big bada boom. Big, big bada boom. So yeah, basically he's dancing on, a Lord's ed- on an edge between these two cities, not really knowing what to do with them, because as you said, in the beginning of this, he's a terrible leader. And he's hoping that mm-hmm. Elaine can come back and take them off his hands. Because he knows she's a good leader. She's taught him, like, half of what he knows about leadership. It's like, ah. Probably 90. What, what, what Morgase hasn't taught him, he learned from Elaine. Moraine. Moraine, thank you. To his credit, she was, she was taught. He wasn't. Very much so. That's, that's why it's a good that he wants her back to take over. He was allowed to study the night before the test. She actually took the whole class. Right. Right? Like, mm-hmm. he had the cram, of course. Okay, we got, two, we got Fedwin going as an Ashaman to Kyrian. He's got taking two more to late Lord Samondred and High Lord Weramon. Dark friend alert, High Lord Weramon's a dark friend, and he's getting a hold of one of the Ashamon. He's also an idiot though. And he's, well, yes. How much of that idiot is him being a dark friend and how much of that is him actually being an idiot? It's debatable. <laughs> so I'll I'll debate you over it someday, because I do think he's I think he's smarter than he looks and he's deliberately being obtuse to make Rand fail. That's yeah. fair. Who's Lord Samaradred? Yeah. I don't remember. I think he's a... Aradia. He's a Tyran lord that doesn't do anything except not be a dark friend. I think he's Kyrianan, isn't he? Highest lord from Kyrianan sent to the, sent to the plains of Moreto, where Randall Thor is gathering a massive army. Oh, yeah. He's one of the main names in that whole failed battle scene. That, that's where I know him from. And yeah, he doesn't do anything remarkable. He's just there while, while Randall's falling apart. Rand doesn't trust him due to his house having an alliance with House Riotan. But he's not actually ever a dark friend or a betrayer or 
anything. Uh, as far as we know, he's no, remarkable. he's not a dark friend. No, he's not remarkable in any way. So I might have gotten his nation wrong, but <laughs> I remember that he's not worth remembering. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yes, he is pretty much not worth remembering. But it makes Wyramon seem like an equal character, right? Like, now that I know he's a dark friend, he stands out. But at the time, Samaradrid and Wyramon were often mentioned together, right? Like, either one could have been the dark friend, either one could have been fine. Like, they could have both been unmemorable. Anything else you wanted to say about that chapter? Or do we tangent hard enough on that? I'm... I'd say we did a pretty I good job. Pretty good Thank job you so much for coming on Thank the podcast so and tangenting with us. Yeah, really Bye, appreciate us. That was a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, have uh, to do it again. It was really okay. fun. Yeah. Hard tangents, but you know. <laughs> I like down to talk some real time. I was just gonna say, anytime you need some really hard tangents. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's a couple of chapters coming up that might be a little sloggy. That I might be like, hey, let's 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 fill up uh, Naval List and tangent hard on that. All about yeah. the, all about the tangents. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I'm gonna go ahead and turn recording off. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate the time you you gave to this and uh, how much fun it was. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, it's funny. I, I I had always said I would never do a podcast because I just I don't listen to a lot of podcasts myself normally. And so it was. Uh, I got asked by by Brian who runs uh, Wheel Brian, Talk right. for Kappa Sedai, and he's been our guest for the yeah. last three episodes. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so before that, we had Jess on. Actually, rounding out the trifecta now. Basically, at this point, the Tarval, you were the last Tarval and After Dark uh, member to come on in, like, I think it's in order, too. So mm-hmm. it's like one, two, three. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Not intended, but well, uh, a, a nice, happy accident. Yeah. Well, it's been fun, though. It's definitely a different medium, that's for sure. Yeah, so. for sure. So, from what I gathered from your story, you're not a, a rereader. You've just gone through it once. 
Oh okay, no no okay. no! I'm a rereader. Uh, I was like, I don't... I, I'm I'm probably well past uh, 35 or 40 oh, times now. The the thing once I started, so I had read it a lot before. What's your medium of choice before audio? Uh, audio? Now it's Audible okay. because I I I travel a lot and I can always listen, and so I'm basically on a constant mm-hmm. Audible cycle where I'm just. But I, I do I do like the reading part of it too. I just think with with Audible, I get something different out of it every time because you know when you're listening to a book your attention is kind of not always 100 percent on the book you're listening to at least I, that's how it is for me but i feel like i catch something different every time i listen to the books which is what makes this series so unique is that i think you can reread it 30 times Absolutely. plus right and still feel like you're learning something new every time you read it or catching something you didn't catch before i mean we almost always yet to have an episode without one of us going you know, saying something, the other one going like, oh, I didn't realize that. I never noticed that before. Or, mm-hmm. oh, that's clever. You know, like, how many times an episode does that happen? Yeah. You know, and, and that's just with the two or three people who we have on. I know the listeners have that same realization, you know, all the time. And so it's mm-hmm. it's really, that's the pleasure of this podcast is really trying to pull every single one of those details out that we can. Right. And, and really, like, having that enjoyment one chapter at a time in a group setting. For sure. And finding our fellow serial rereaders who obsess about it and can actually appreciate the level of nerddom and be like, oh, only 12 reads? Well, I've done 20. Well, I've done 30. Like, it's so fun to find us. <laughs> well, and at some point you stop counting because it's, it's like, well. It's all a wheel. It's pointless. I've, I've done I've done a bunch of partial rereads. I've done this book. I know I've only done book. the last I, battle know. three times. I know that. <laughs> but... Sometimes the book Shocking. plays while I'm asleep for 12 hours. and Right. Does that count? Yes, it does. <laughs> I used to be a big reader outside of Wheel of Time. I would say the real Wheel of Time ruined me when it comes to reading. Uh, I have trouble keeping my attention span on other fantasy I'm books. Uh, probably the only other book series, like even Sanderson for that matter, is hard to keep my attention. And the only other series that's really I, I've been able to kind of stick with and finish, although it'll never get finished at this point, is Game of like Song of Ice and Fire. But because I was a big fan of that too prior to when the show came out, which is actually really cool to me because the parallels of where that fandom was coming into when that show released and to where the Wheel of Time fandom is now. First of all, I mean I don't know if the Wheel of Time fandom is a lot bigger. I mean, I would say yeah. it's still comparable in size now, except we don't have a show yet. Right, right. <laughs> so it's going to grow. I mean, everybody I've talked to, everybody I've read, everybody that I've met in this industry, and I've met a few people now, I would, I would say this, be prepared for your podcast uh, through the roof. I, I, You know, I've been hearing that. I've been hearing that. But, you know, the proof, proof is in the pudding. You know, and and I do think I think you know, and I I hate to say this, but I think there's going to be a tiered reaction, right? I think that some podcasts are going to do well, some aren't. Some YouTube channels are going to do well, some aren't. You know, there's going to be, and I think mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of newcomers on the scene, and there might be a lot of people oh. who are have been on the scene for a long time who might get left behind. Yeah, because you have to. Well, there are new mediums. Now. Yeah, and. There are new ways of interacting with fans. Um, I, I, I was, it's funny. I had this conversation with, uh, with Matt Hatch uh, from the Dusty Wheel Theoryland, and we were talking about this. There is sort of a, although I would probably include myself in the old school fandom, I was not in the old school content creation. Same. There, are, there are sort of two sets Same. of fandoms right now. Yes, There's there the are. old school folks who were the big 
theory land people and and then there are kind of the new youtube generation or you can call it podcasting generation all of those new mediums that weren't necessarily a thing right. the discord generation oh my god the right. amount of discord that happens with the fandom is just like <laughs> but matt hatch has managed to span that he has He's one of the few people that's managed to yeah come forward in, in into the new era and really be successful uh and also have been successful in the old era you know, but, but there are people like like Jason Denzel. You know, he's still running Dragon Mount, and that's great. But I don't think it's the source of a lot of fan action at this point. I think that he's going to be putting some time. In my last conversation with yeah. Jason is I think that he wants to kind of build that back up. The, Absolutely, yeah. It's it's sort of one of those things that it's like, how long do I want to keep doing this? And now that it's all kind of coming back around, because there was a there was a period yeah. there where. There wasn't a lot of action in the Wheel of Time fandom. It was done. <laughs> that's the the series was done. You know, there was a, and and that's and that's the period I stepped into with the podcast because you know I was fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to to start the podcast really about a year year and a half before the announcement dropped, um, and I think that was normally just bad timing on my part that got lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really good timing. It's nice to have 350 episodes. This is 351 Two. that we're recording today. Mm-hmm. Two? Two. Okay. That's <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Hey, we're on, we're on episode seven. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that's an accomplishment. I mean, you know, every huh. milestone means something is what I found as a podcast. Is getting past five episodes mm-hmm. means you're probably going to keep making it. Getting past 10 episodes means you've probably got a little bit of a fan base, you know, getting, and, and like, it's just as you grow and as you produce more episodes, you get better and, and refine your technique and all that kind of stuff. We wanted to try something different too. I mean, when we, when we started it, it wasn't that like, what I did here, here's I've, I, when people ask me about YouTube and I, I, I love the fact that more people, sh- I think there should be more wheel of time YouTubers. I really do think it helps everybody when there's more popular people generating buzz. But if you're going to do something, either do it better than the other people that are doing it or find your own niche. You get what I mean? Like it wouldn't make a ton of sense for me to come in and make a reread podcast that does the exact same thing that your podcast is doing. Like, I just, I don't feel like that. Now I'm splitting an audience where if we can create something unique and different and that's sort of why I mean, with, I'll use Brian as an example in the YouTube space. Like wheel talk is something completely on of itself. I mean, there's nothing like yeah. that. There's nothing that's funny like that. Mm-hmm. And not that this is the the forum for it, but I was saying anybody that wants to get into content creation, find your niche and go for it. Um, yeah, don't imitate, create. No. <laughs> yeah. For sure. No. Right. And, and we found the spoilers niche, right? And a lot of people don't want to go mm-hmm. and just like dig in as deep as you can that read through. And I, I mean, I'm like, I know that's not a unique format, but it was unique to the wheel of time when we started sure. it, you know, and that's, that's something that I've really been, been happy to maintain. And, mm-hmm. and it's fun to like support other projects and see them follow their things and follow their, their niches and like flower into these things that you could never have created. Like that's, I think part of why this community is so mutually supportive is because we all see each other doing different shit Sure. And we're just right. like different things. And we're just so excited to see where that's going to go. And it's easy to then share fandoms, right? And like pass around our audiences so that way everyone finds exactly which one is right for them. Because also people have to go shopping before they find the one that hits. And like the fact that we're all cross-posting and cross-pollinating means that it's easier for people to find what they want. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because not everyone wants a two-hour in-depth chapter-by-chapter analysis, right? Like, that's not what a lot of people are looking for. And I know that, and I'm not trying to sell that to everybody. A lot of times they want the five-minute, um, you know, summary YouTube channel that they can consume quickly and with all their senses mm-hmm. and is more entertaining. As opposed to, but, but sometimes they're on a commute and all they've got is headphones. And a YouTube channel just doesn't work. No, and you know, the, you mentioned one other thing, and I think this is the other thing I would add for anybody that wants to make content, is... Not only do you want to make your own thing, like you want to have your own niche, but the other side of that is like, you need to be entertaining. Sure. Um, (laughs) It's not like there is a trap in my opinion that I've watched a lot of creators fall into of catering to their diehard audience only. Like that's the people in my discord server, for instance, like if they say, here's the content I want you to make. Well, you're going to watch whatever I <laughs> like we want we want everybody to come in and see this and so sometimes i i think the most successful podcasts youtube channels tv shows when well, you name it it doesn't matter what it is it's content um it doesn't necessarily have to be funny but it needs to be entertaining like i need to add value in a way that people want to come back over and over and over again you guys have obviously pulled that off you know what i mean like there there's a val- there's a reason people come back yeah we don't cater we really don't we just do what we want to do <laughs> sometimes we try and add value to it by add, like adding video you know but that's not mm-hmm. changing what we're doing we're just trying to you know that's value that i would want to see and that's something that i'm i'm adding because i i would like it also it's nice to see your faces because audio only was getting hard <laughs> and sure. you know pandemic it's <laughs> i gotta say one of the things that's allowed me to have guests on has been this pandemic right it was so hard to get people with decent audio visual quality before the pandemic on that it was very difficult to do a podcast with someone other than a partner who i did it with on a regular basis as right. the pandemic has gone on it's become easier and easier and easier to be like oh yeah just use your microphone and camera that i've seen you use all the time that'll be fine Right. You know how you everyone knows how to use headphones now. Everyone knows how to mute themselves like that. We've all been trained on Zoom calls <laughs> and it's been really useful for for having guests on with podcasts because it's made the setup Strange so much easier. silver lining. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been real fun for me, uh, especially across Crown of Swords to bring on a bunch of uh, people that I've been watching and admiring for a long time, um, including yourself. So Taint. <laughs> sorry, I can't help it. I'm a child. <laughs> I am curious how they are going to handle that. They in won't. The show, to be perfectly they're going to just pick a different word. You know, I'm. They're not going to handle the dark ones taint nope. in the show. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. They're going to cleanse the taint right laugh. out of the script. Cleanse it. Oh god, it's so hard not to be just constantly. But I'm one of the people that. who didn't know it was a dirty word until after I found the book. So I'm surprised people didn't know that. Maybe that's just me. I grew. Up I mean, everybody. I found the books at a young, innocent age in a very insular, innocent community. So, well, and and people could have been referring to it as the, the dirty taint for a long time, or you know, the, the dirty word taint, whatever. <laughs> God damn it, it's so hard to differentiate. Um, the body part taint <laughs> from, but I I wouldn't have registered that because I knew the taint was something that was dirty tainted from the dark one. Like, you know, I, it, it's entirely possible that I was hearing the word at a younger age, but my brain just recontextualized it into wheel of time. Not dirty word, despite being a dirty word. Words are funny. Uh, so next I've got Rand having some flashback PTSD kind of stuff and scaring Sulin. 
<laughs> like when he comes back into himself in response to what she's saying, she like steps back and is like, whoa, hello. I think that's something other than PTSD. Well, okay. Those are the first flashes of color. Remember when Rand thinks about Matt and Perrin, he says, especially when he thinks of Matt and Perrin, those colors start to flash. These are the beginning of the visions, right? When he thinks about Matt and Perrin, he sees them in the later books. This is the first time that starts to happen is in the box. Yeah, but then the, what he's thinking about right when she interrupts him is what happened to him in the box. The flashes of color start the paragraph and then it spirals out into just thinking about the box itself. And then that's when she taps him and is like, hey, what's up? And she, who would stand eye to eye with a leopard, steps back. Like, mm. so. And then he, he feels like he's wearing a mask that's someone else's face. Like, the, I don't think he's really noticing that the flickers mean anything. They're just reminding him of what happened in the chest, which is more of a PTSD thing. Jordan likes to introduce these things very early on and not tell you what they are and then make them more and more and more intense until they slap you in the face. Like the channeling sickness. Right, and because these come in with a bunch of other actual hallucinations, right? Like, it's it's like the dice in Matt's head, right? It takes him a long time to sort out imagination from what's really happening. Right, because a lot of times he's imagining dice, and then he hears dice, and then it's like the dice are actually right. And there's multiple sets of dice, and he didn't know that the, until right. the pace changes. How are they going to do that in the show? Drums, I don't know. I think it would be corny. Actual if dice in a cup. <laughs> That's late enough. Some of the Taviran powers... I, I wouldn't mind here seeing some of the Taviran powers cut, to be perfectly honest, so it's a little more natural. Yeah. Because, like, in a book, it's sort of like, oh, that's cool, but... Uh, you know, let's make Taviran powers a little less um, OP. Yeah, you could just have Matt have a good uh, intuition for armory. lucky situations and just talk about how he gets a certain prickle on his neck and then just allow that to be in the background. Maybe we just Spidey sense yeah, it? exactly. It's just Matt... He gets yeah. a prickle, and then you slow motion as he turns over to, like, someone pulling out the sword, you know? And yeah, it's like, do it oh, once I'll or twice and establish it, yeah. the mechanism, and then... Well, the the dice is, to me, it's just a mechanism for Robert Jordan to create some... Like, if you notice how many times a chapter ends with, and then the dice stop rolling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Like It is a bit of a cheap shot in that way, yeah. It, it's a. It's literally just a way to say, hey, something really big is about to happen in the next chapter. Yeah. Like... I think that can go away for the show. I think the yeah. dice rolling can. Now, his luck, I think you can show his luck in some pretty crazy ways. Yeah. Even yeah. with that, dice those, rolling. some cool scenes. <laughs> yes. Just with dice rolling. You establish it with the dice rolling, and then you start to apply, you realize it's applying to other real world scenarios. And then that gives him some of that lucky plot armor stuff. Like, I like having the luck. Like, I'm not against the luck. But the dice yeah. rolling in his head. I agree. Mm, that should be yeah. eliminated. I think it's great in the book. I wouldn't take it out of the book. But. Putting it on screen doesn't work. Okay, here's a tangent. You like yeah. tangents. How do you, Seth, you are in charge of the Wheel of Time TV show. How do you adapt to Lewis Theron's voice? Um, I immediately go to Farscape. I haven't seen Farscape, so... Oh, okay. So, Farscape was produced by Jim Henson, and the main character has Harvey in his head, uh, which is a neural implant, which is a copy of his archenemy. There's an actor who plays the voice in his head, and that actor can interact with him in several ways. Either a voice he can hear, just as he's, yeah, and you just do a voiceover. That actor sitting on set, interacting with him, but nobody else can see that actor. Or pulling him into a headspace where they're just both standing around talking to each other in some sort of, you know, 
alternate headspace where they can just hang out and talk and chat and argue and yell at each other and that sort of thing. I like all of those. Because uh, my initial vision was sort of like a, a beautiful mind. He sees loose there and running around. Nobody else sees him. Mm-hmm. To give it sort of a visual so it's not this cheesy voiceover. But I think different situations can work in different contexts, right? Like true. The, Very true. Here, where they're arguing with each other and going into box mode, that, well... You put them in a big room that kind of resembles a box. Right, yeah. If you look intensely enough, and it lets dark at the corners and, and make it very, and time, no time passes I outside of it. You know, I and then, it. or in the beginning, all you hear is a vo- you know, wait, what was that voice? Did you hear that? You know, the sort of whispers from yeah. LTT. and then sometimes LTT's walking around the room commenting on what's happening, and nobody except Rand can see him. <laughs> right. Standing behind the ashram going, kill him, kill right? him, kill him, kill him, kill him, you know? Like. Yeah, no, I, that's definitely always how I've imagined that they're going to have to do it is with him showing up in whatever way he's showing up to Rand, right? Like, and kind of giving different ways. Yeah, he'll be like the the guy in, uh, oh, what's that show? Quantum Leap. That only Ziggy, with Ziggy it. and, um, uh, Ziggy was the computer. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, yeah. Yeah, they always have the cigar. Yeah, totally. Exactly. That sort of thing. Like, you're going to have to do and that. And have him be, like, um, really incongruous other... sometimes. You know, like, dressed really, really nicely in a really grungy scene. And, like, that really out of place, uh, you know, bizarreness. Battlestar yeah, did that a little totally. bit. Yeah, totally. With uh, Head he- uh, Balthazar and, and then, uh, yeah. Head Six. Yeah, definitely Battlestar Galactica did that, too. No, I like that mechan. I like that move in in storytelling. It gives you so many options to just like break the normal rules of human interaction. And that's why I think Steve is. I think Steve is the actor they picked to be. I could totally see that. LTT. He looks like an old man that killed his whole family and is dealing with that after three thousand years. Of... Interesting. I mean, not old, but like older. You know, not significantly older than Yosha. Look, there's there's something to be said that they the Logan scenes. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the, like the leaked, leaked scripts that they had about. I'm avoiding those. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, so there's this part, and I'm not going to spoil what it is, but there's a script that basically has a vo- somebody reading the part of a voice in the head, and people that are attributing it, people are just guessing. They're assuming it's Logan. What if it's not? What if that is Luz Theron? What if they're and they have cast Steve as Luz Theron? I mean, there's a that's possible. Steve could be Luz Theron. And that was my assumption when I saw it without any information. Is oh well, of course they've cast. Lewis Theron, and they don't want to call him that, so they just make up a guy name for him and call it Steve. And then looking at the actor, I was like, yeah, he could be a Lewis Theron. That's that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much my thought process, too. Like, that works. Possibility. This is not a little boy or something. Like, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think, who, who would they not want to announce? A Forsaken? Yeah, we haven't had one of them. It's true. <laughs> Basically, some Age of the Legends character. Those are the only other characters. And so, Age of the Legends character, Forsaken. Or LTT. Or LTT. Now, Ishamael, I think, might be the more likely one, but why wouldn't they just call him Ishamael? Like, we know that he's going to be in it, right? Like, Maybe they're just trying to preempt everyone who's going to mispronounce it as Ishmael. They're just like, we're not going to bring this name out until we actually have an actor delivering the line. We don't want to just give the word. Hey, there's a chance we don't get any Forsaken at all. They're just like what they get talked about, but we don't actually see them. That would make them very scary. Because you could take out all of the dream sequences and pretty much eliminate Bialsamon from season one. Yeah, Trollocs and Fades are scary enough to get going, for sure. The Black Wind, I mean, I come do on. Really, I do really like the dream stuff, though. Like, I really think that's an, uh, an important part of the magicalness of the first book, is, like, putting Rand in this four-dimensional, non-geometric world and make him navigate around. And that, like, prepares you for more Teleron Riyadh stuff later. 
I normally don't like it in the books. Oh, I love but I it. Feel like it yeah. I feel like it would translate so well on TV. It really helps you see how the three boys are connected. And yeah, like visually, that would work really well, visually. I want them to nail the world. Okay, now we're getting way off topic. But I want to, I want them to nail the world of dreams because to me, I think that'll be so interesting to see them do like Inception style, <laughs> like Doctor Strange making stuff move and shit. Yeah, you know, I yeah, think- holodeck, but with way better CGI. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, right? Like that. that's kind of where I... If the show looks like Game of Thrones, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. They've got, they've got a bigger budget. Both the fact that this is a world that was modern and has decayed from that, which means we need some real wonders that are left over. And we've got some real non-Euclidean spaces that our characters get to occupy. Taking those two things, like let's... Uh, Euclidean, you know what I mean. Like, whatever. Um, <laughs> they non non-standard universes and so like you need cgi to represent those and that's that's one of the things like dr strange was so powerful like some of those other um modern superhero type storytelling has have done so well is put you in this other world place and it's and it's why this story is no longer absurd to do right the technology's finally caught up to what rj has given us to work with well i'm not worried about special effects if you've seen the studio any of the work from the studio they hired to do the special effects I'm not even the slightest bit worried about it. So not even a little bit. I'm more, that's probably the number one thing I'm excited to see other than actors in character is the CGI. I, I want to see building. Uh, yeah. I see this clumps into CGI, but I want to see Camelin. I want to see the white mm. tower. I want to see white bridge. I want to see, I want to see those big structures that you're talking about. I want to see it real, not just an artist's conception of it. I want it to be, I want a canon. That's what it looks like. Well, and that's, that's sort of what I guess that's part of the CGI for me, because that's part of building the background, building that, you know, we can see these sets and it's like, oh, it's Yasha in front of a wall (laughs) with some art, you know, archery stuff set up. And we're like, okay, but what's not there is everything else they're going to put into that scene, you know, and that's, and that's what I'm excited to see. Um, from a visual point of view, uh, and really, really helps solidify, help me communicate that with people who haven't read the books as well. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, like, t- total, I mean, tangent on a tangent on a tangent. I cannot wait to talk to my parents about these books and be like, remember in episode three, you saw the White Tower? <laughs> like, that's, that's a, you know, like, that's, I'm so excited to talk to non-readers about these books. Uh, by it's going to be making shows. YouTube videos a hell of a lot easier to make. My YouTube yeah. videos are going to get better when I have real stuff to Yeah, yeah. when you actually have, like, <laughs> you know, produce all your own visuals. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about that as well, where I'm like, oh, man, cutting, it's got to be so hard for these YouTubers. When I look at what, like, Game of Thrones folks doing, they're cutting together all of this, you know, good art and um show clips and like and occasionally they put their talking head in but so rarely like that's whereas like the youtube videos and it's like this is my forehead watching while i talk i am you know what like, this is pot calling the kettle black as we uh you know that i mean i'm making there aren't there are not there aren't maps of most of the locations that's why i've been making maps of locations that we don't have them for Anyways, yeah, I mean, all that will get easier when we have actual show clips. Yeah, it'll be nice to have a million-dollar R&D budget for, you know, to... <laughs> for my YouTube channel. For your YouTube yeah, channel, basically, <laughs> right? Like, because yeah. you're going to be able to take all that, that material that's been used to, to yep. produce for the TV show. So, yeah. 
Uh, I'm totally, totally agree with you. We're working on um, visuals for Broken Earth spoilers, which is... Mm-hmm. Have you read Broken Earth, uh, the series? No, I haven't. I gotta say, to. N.K. It's... Jemison is one of the only authors that can take me away from Jordan. Exactly. When you were saying earlier how Jordan broke you, we were both nodding, and I meant to cut in and say... Because we were except... both thinking about Jemison. <laughs> except that. Yeah, we were both... We'll and we both out. thought that at Absolutely. the same time. So that's... She has written a modern world that is as consuming, if shorter, but still as consuming as something that I think Jordan wrote. And she absolutely ruined Sanderson for me. Absolutely ruined him for me. I'm not a fan of Sanderson's writing style. I I I think he's a great author. So it's like, who am I to criticize? I'm not. But it's just, it's not, he writes to me too cinematically. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like he's right. Everything is too polished. Agreed. Strong agree. Where I sort of like the the fact that characters can kind of do their own thing. Like Robert Jordan to me is a perfect middle ground between George R. R. Martin and Sanderson because he pulls elements from both styles. You know, George R. R. Martin writes these meandering characters. Like he just takes a character and says, what would they do? And that's how he gets so far off in his story where it's everywhere. Sanderson plots every single point And then it's like, boom, it's like connecting dots to get some. And Jordan is like a mishmash of both of them because we do meander a little bit, but he always has these bullet points that he brings the characters back to. Yeah. And because Jordan was first, what I'd say is both Martin and Sanderson are pale imitations of what right, he was Right, they're taking parts do. that they liked and running with that specific they liked thing. And running, and parts that they are good at and running with that. And like, don't get me wrong, I, th- I love Sanderson's action scenes, but, you know, there's something about sword forms and the freedom that gives me to imagine what's going on that I never get from Brandon Sanderson's beat-by-beat description of exactly how the sword is swinging. And I can read Sanderson's description of a battle at once and know exactly how it went. I can go back and read Jordan's description and, again, see it from five different perspectives. And so it's not that I don't love what Sanderson writes, but the re-readability that Jordan creates is not there in Sanderson. Mm -hmm. I read his stuff once, and I get to the end of it. You know, he does has great twists, and and I love a second reread, because then I know the twists. Right. But after that, there's nothing really to discover, whereas I'm still rereading Wheel of Time. (laughs) And you know what? To defend him, it's easy to have that when you've got 15 books worth of material to kind of pour through. Very fair. Totally. totally. (laughs) On on my counterpoint is, at this point, Sanderson's published a lot more than 15 books. True. But not in the same world, kind of. I guess the Cosmere. Yeah. (laughs) Again, inspired by Jordan. (laughs) Inspired by Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he says he is too. I mean, I, that, yeah, I, I like Robert, and I'm and I'm happy Sanderson finished the book. Yes, I think he did a very I, as good of a job as I think anybody could have done trying to finish those books in the time frame that he did it. Totally get that. So I. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.